We've got already a caller, but I'd like to just take one quick uh, minute sort of and just discuss a theory that's coming up a lot and it's coming up very often, especially on my phone line with the with people are asking those questions. I'm addressing probably one out of ten of them because I don't want to address them every day. And that topic is called codependence. Codependence means the idea where we feel we're in a relationship that it's not so balanced and we feel we're healthy and we're helping the other person. But many times in reality, we're actually in pain and we need to help the other person. We're compelled to help the other person. We're not happy with ourselves if we don't help the other person or worse, if that person is not doing well, if that person is not functioning, then what happens is then that person, then we, the caregiver, now get stuck in that feeling that we're trapped and we're almost attacked when things don't work out. And it's interesting, or sadly enough, but the the one that is codependent, the one that needs things to change, feels a huge amount of pain, feels trapped. They can't enjoy their happiness, can't enjoy their peacefulness. So the number first for those of you that would like to call and ask your question is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And if you'd like to text a question, which of course we usually take the live questions over that, it's 347-927-8398. That's 347-927-8398. We're going to go to Chaim. Chaim, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello, Chaim. I'm not hearing anything. We'll just hold on a second, Chaim. We'll just fix the volume over here that I can hear your question as well. So one of the theories, one of the thoughts about codependences, and one of the ways that we recognize if we're codependent or not, is if we're able to stop it when it's not healthy for us. Chaim, do you hear us by any chance? I hear you, yeah. Excellent. Hear now I hear you as well. Great. So let's go to your okay, question. Fine. Um, I wanted to just, number one, give feedback, and I wanted to just ask a question. Yes, please. Um, number one, I, call, I called last week, and I was telling you that I was, I have anxiety. I was wondering that, I was, this was, I was a close relative of mine was sick, and I was scared to go to the hospital. Yes. And um, I was, really wanted to know was if it was a normal anxiety or something, which is more of an underlying issue. That's and, right. And um, you gave me a tool how to calm down the emotions, which I wanted to thank you, which me a lot, and I feel much more confident and a lot more calm. And um, I'm saying I felt that, like in other areas also, like I'm going to more of a cognitive, you know, CBT Mahalak, and and you know after I you know did the emotional work on myself, I felt like the cognitive feeling, the cognitive thoughts were able to kick in a lot easier. Bingo! Thank you for what you've just said. That is fantastic. That's exactly what we're talking about when I tell people that. I'm a big believer in the subconscious, and the people start going, oh, so you don't believe in cognitive therapy? Absolutely not. We need cognitive therapy. I find that there are like three parts to the brain. There's like the emotional part, which is what I did with you for literally, I think it was less than five minutes over the phone. And then right. there's the cognitive stuff that you've been going for therapy for. And then there's as well as action behavior, which is behavioral therapy. And cognitive CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. That you introduce them together, but it's many times needed. So I appreciate the feedback for that and that it worked. I would like to give you some feedback. I got a message yeah. this week from my phone line, which people can text to that number, and it comes to where people want to ask questions. And someone told me, thank you for the help that you did with Chaim, because I used to have that fear, and I now use your technique with the CBT tools, and someone said it just worked magnificent, and it was wonderful. So the information that you got helped helped several other people, but at least one person verbalized it and expressed it. So I was thinking okay. if you would call, I would just tell you you've 
not only helped yourself, but you've helped someone else. I hear, I hear. Okay, fine. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask, now that I see how, you know, how important it is, the emotional work, like now that I'm basically finishing with this therapist on CBT and I feel I'm basically getting there, you feel that now I should be going to more of an emotional therapist? Or like if I'm feeling happy and I'm feeling confident and I'm feeling good and I don't feel any issues, like I should just leave it. Um, so oh, this is very hard for me to give an assessment or any advice from like the couple of minutes. What I will say is as follows. Let's just, I'll have you sort of make, you know, give yourself the advice. You feel you're going to the CBT therapist. Do you feel he has more information to give you? Do you feel you've gotten all the tools and now you're practicing on the behavior of implementing it? It's a question. Do you feel there you're are more at- tools you need to learn? No, I feel, I feel like I'm basically getting there. Okay, great. Now, when you're implementing the CBT tools, do you feel it's helping you? For sure. Excellent. Now, we did a little bit of emotional work, and how did you feel that help you? Like, do you feel that's um, like the next piece that you feel that might be needed to go to some of the emotions that are, feel, that are holding you back? Um, it did help me a lot, yeah. It did. I'm, right. thinking, you know, the high, I'm thinking it made me a lot more calm than just the CBT tools. That's right. So that is something that I would really recommend but there aren't really too many therapists. So let me share with you, I guess, the positives and the negatives that I find when we talk about emotional therapy. A lot of the emotional therapies that are out there, therapeutic modalities that are out there, are not regulated, which means they're not always done by a social worker or by someone that's a psychologist or mental health counselor. And what that means is I'm just going to give you the pros and the cons the way I see it. So those of you can, many people can choose to agree with me. Many people can choose to disagree. This is just my opinion, my experience. Somehow I find the two worlds, like the subconscious world, to really fight with a cognitive and behavioral world, which means generally the licensed professionals are cognitive and behavioral therapists. The emotional world are subconscious worlds, which the cognitive behavioralists don't like. The subconscious world and subconscious worlds don't like them. Each one calls the other ones fakers. So the alternative world is sort of saying the licensed therapists don't heal the root of the problem. They don't go into it. They don't address it. And the cognitive behavioral therapists are busy talking about that those that are do subconscious work, they get too much into their minds. It means they start thinking, oh, every little sign is this, every little sign is that. If you use the red crayon for this thing, that means now there's a huge amount, there's a, a whole bunch amount of projection going on. There's many times no confidentiality respected. They didn't go through a certain amount of training. And what can also happen is many times their issues, because it's not like in a licensed profession, the alternative therapist might many times have their issues that they will project. So sometimes you can hear where a person would say that they have a sad story or a horror story where they went to someone that, let's say for Shalom Bayes, which doesn't have any training in Shalom Bayes, and all of a sudden they took one of the spouse's sides and they were attacking the other one. Now they might have a great tool, they might have great insight, but they got triggered when they heard something happen. Now they're a professional, you know, sort of in college where you're taught how to deal with situations, you're having two, three supervisors supervising your affect, as it's called, your reactions. How did you get triggered? And a large part of supervision is about us, the therapist, while we're working, how did we get triggered? Now, I personally love both worlds. I find the brilliance to cognitive behavioral therapy and the research-based, and it's statistically proving what works, what doesn't work, as well as at the same time, I'm a big believer, as you've just experienced, let's say on the last program, of the emotional world. There's a huge power to the emotional world. So I was just at a certain training where I'm just coming from now, from that training, and I'll be returning right after. And one of the licensed therapists told me, what's your opinion about hypnosis for therapy? He says, because I've sent to several people to a hypnotist, and he wasn't successful in therapy. 
Now, I actually am trained in hypnosis, and I happen to agree with that therapist completely, which means hypnosis is a very powerful tool. But for certain areas, I find that it doesn't work, or you need to get into the subconscious, which using the therapeutic questions that I've learned in psychology, in therapy, in social work school, and using that, once you can tune into the subconscious, like what I just had you identify, that's not classical hypnosis where I'm guiding you and telling you relax, your anxiety is disappearing, or uh, body relaxation. But if you can use the two, so right now, one of the goals I hope the Rebbein will give me, a, you know, a siyata deshmai to fulfill, is to actually train or to educate licensed professionals with some of the tools that I find that work in the subconscious, some of the emotional type therapy. So what I find is difficulty is really who to give, who to recommend you to that will do emotional work. So that's why I always send to relief. And if you can or like to call up Relief or Echo and tell them exactly what we did. You called up the phone line, you know, on jradio.com and you spoke to me and you're going to a CBT therapist. It's wonderful. That is working. But with a couple of minutes that we did the emotional work, that was like the balance that you need. And ask them, do they, do they know anyone that does emotional, ba- emotional work? And they might have several names. But, in, you, you know, I have a difficult time referring you to someone because... It's everything that goes along with when you refer to someone along those lines. So I am a big believer in it. I'm glad you're able to experience that. And for those people listening, part of the main, the main reason that I do this phone line, this whole system, this whole radio, you know, JRIT radio is for awareness, for us to be aware that if you're going for a certain type of therapy, and many times some people could be going to the subconscious therapy, but then you need actual guidance. You need CBT. And sometimes they're stuck in that, oh, I can't go to CBT because I'm going to the much deeper one. I'm healing the root. No, you need all parts of the brain need healing and need information. So I would recommend from what you're saying, Chaim, yes, to look for an emotional, a therapist that has also experience in emotions or someone, if you know that they're not licensed, but that they have integrity or you know that they are successful. Or if you get hurt through the process, understand that part of it might be because they're not licensed in that area. So I don't want to only say go to licensed professionals because I find a huge amount of power, siyata deshmaya, rebbeim, when you speak to machanchem, there's so much information there. And to say only licensed people, I feel, is not correct. Does that make right, sense I, or somewhat? I'm just wondering, like, let's say like the tools that, that, you, that you told me last week, I'm saying would that be enough for me just to do it on my own or like I should just... You definitely can try that, but let me share with you a little information dis- disclosing a little about me. I go to actually someone that I've trained that does this work. I go to this person for therapy every two weeks. I have about a two to three hour session on me. Now, why is that? If I'm sort of the malakit, I don't want to call myself the machadish, because basically I've taken, I'm almost like a course junkie, which means I love taking information. I find it gives me more tools in my toolbox to help people. And I take cognitive tools, behavioral tools. I'm taking today a course. But I also take a lot of the subconscious work. I will give you an idea out there, and I don't know how those men, many people of you that know of this therapy. It's more a child therapy. It's more for children. It's called uh, Santray. I actually do it, and where I live in Lakewood, when we do it with, a, with an adult group, we do it for adults. And it's amazing when you can take figurines and sort of start finding out what are you feeling about this. What's your first instinct is more the subconscious speaking. I know it's mostly for children, but I have a huge success that I find when I do it for adults. So play therapy as well. If it's using the modality where you train, that helps. Now let me explain to you why I'm saying that I go for therapy. Imagine I'm the malakit where I've taken so many different systems, seen what works with the subconscious, when you need this and that. Don't you think I can do it on myself, on my own? And the answer is that in order to get into your emotions, you need someone to push you. 
we have a filter in our brain which keeps us all normal. So I think I'm normal, you think you're normal, someone else thinks that they're normal. But what happens if there's a distortion going on? If someone has a problem, the brain is meant to keep us in our program for us to feel safe so we don't go crazy. Which means, Adam karavets alatzma. A person is related to himself, means we'll be blind to ourselves. Just like a koyin can paskin on a, on a nega atzma on his own, we can't. So yes, this tool can help you with the basics. But where you need someone that's experienced, that when you hit that block, how to push you and how to help you go beyond that. And that is something that it's a little bit difficult to do on your own. Besides, there are little parts that I haven't done with you on air, but there's more components to the therapy tool that I do when we go into the subconscious or healing emotions. And that is, we also go to the past and we also go to the future. means we want to lock in out the subconscious, clearing up sometimes the cause where it comes from, where I'm a huge believer from the the subconscious therapy where you got to heal the cause, as well as the subconscious needs now a future anchor. It needs a future view where to go to. So the example is wherever we look, that's where we're going to go. So if you're driving a car and there's a pothole and you don't want to hit that pothole, you want to sort of miss it. If you're staring at the pothole, you're 100% guaranteed to hit it. And usually what they teach you when you're doing defensive driving schools and to be a race car driver where you lose control and if you're looking at the wall, you don't want to hit there going 200 miles per hour, it's an automatic death. They teach you not to look at the wall where you don't want to go to. They teach you turn your head the opposite direction, the opposite to your natural instinct, which is look where you don't want to go to, like look at that fear and try to turn away. They teach you and they train you how to turn your head the other way. If your head, if your eyes will look at a different spot on the floor that's not the pothole, you'll end up over there. Which means we also need to put into the subconscious in the future, how do I want my future to look? Once your positive, once your brain, subconscious starts looking where I, how I want it to look like, I can speak publicly, I can have friends, automatically your brain, subconscious starts trying to help you get there. I hear. So I would I recommend... That's right. So if you could do it on your own, that's wonderful. That's fantastic. Continue, Merit Hashem, try to do that. But if you realize that you're having little setbacks or it's not going deep enough, then understand that it's extremely normal. And the example that I give is one more like from a scale of 1 to 10, we can help ourselves, let's say, from 1 to 6. But from 6 to 10, you need someone to push you, someone to go, "Uh uh-uh, I feel you're hiding. It sounds to me there's more emotion behind that. What are you really afraid of? And that push is where you need an outsider to do. That's right, exactly, exactly, very much so. In fact, the CBT therapist will be more engaging because that is the system than in the subconscious type emotional work. But still, it's hard for you. Can you ask yourself, can you do CBT on yourself, the therapy mode? We're not talking about workbooks. Workbooks you can do on your own and behavior you can do on your own. But why do you need a therapist then? Many people ask that question. If you've experienced them, what would you tell our listeners? What's the difference would, when you go to a therapist to when you just take a workbook on your anxiety? I think I try workbooks. They don't work because you don't know what even you don't even know what your problems are. That's right. You know, and so many different issues that are still in workbooks. If I don't have that issue, then went to a therapist and told me, "Hey, that's your issue." Yes. And I started working at it, then it, you know, then it changed it. Yes. Yes. You got it. Right. So that's basically what you think. You need someone else to identify the subconscious of what I'm feeling. Or help you just ask those questions. You'll get it. But for an example, like when I asked you, what are you afraid of? You said, I'm not really sure. And then I pushed you, well, are you afraid that you'll make a mistake? People are going to laugh at you. It was like, it's hard for you to do that on your own when you're doing therapy. Right. I'm getting that anyway from the the CBT therapist. Yes, but you need the therapist to do it while you're tuning into your subconscious. Right, I hear that. So... 
if I'm feeling pulled down, then I should go to the therapist. If I'm not feeling so pulled down, then I should just that's right, and, and continue go to CBT until you feel you're done, and also work it out with a the therapist. Let the CBT therapist tell you, "I feel you're done," you know, or they'll tell you because sometimes you might feel that you're sixty percent done, but that last twenty percent or that last forty percent, whatever is needed, and sometimes it's just a couple of more sessions. Many times I find that people do remove themselves from therapy prematurely, and if you just take that couple of more sessions, you get it done. And sometimes people go, "Oh, the therapist just wants to fill up their spots; they want the money." Trust me. The good therapists are busy. Those that know what they're doing are doing for your integrity, and you can discuss it with them. How do I know? And they won't take it offensive, or they shouldn't take it offensive. How do I know you're not just doing it for the money? They'll tell you, well, these are the goals we still want to reach. And once you're yeah. aware of what the goals are, then it makes sense. Don't, be, don't hesitate to ask the therapist, to discuss it with the therapist, and it's not called confrontation. It's called working something out. Right. right. Hi, okay, it is fantastic having you called back, especially with a positive feedback, and I appreciate that. Fine, thank you very much. You're very welcome, and keep on growing. We are now going to go to our next caller. We're going to skip ahead just because it is a, it's a follow-up from Elio. Elio, I remember that call, and a lot of people. I also got a lot of feedback of your, about your question. Elio, you're on the air with Mordechai on line five. Hi. Actually, um, it's Eliyahu's mother since he's in school. Um, yes, I remember we discussed he might be in school. Thank you. Please, yes. let's hear the feedback. It could be positive or negative. I have no idea what's coming. It's the positive. Okay. Um, so first of all, he wanted to just me to tell you that he listens to all your, we both listen, whatever, to your hotline, also the share room that you have. And the first time that he heard you, he's like, whoa, I want to go speak to him. He's amazing. He really picked up how much knowledge you have. And um, so Thank you. So first of all, thanks for that. And for those people listening, just to tell you, I've got a phone line where however they share him. Um, everything is sourced Makaris in Yiddishkeit because I find it extremely important for who I am, especially when I work with clients, to understand that it is Yiddishkeit. Um, we're not doing psychology here. We're just giving about information that sometimes people need and to know that everything is by us in the Torah. So I've got those. I have Shiram actually in Yiddish as well for those of you interested or want to just hear my Yiddish. And then we also got daily questions and answers and also daily motivational quotes. I find certain quotes are so poignant for the day or just for the theory, and it just changes your focus of the day. So that number is 718-298-2011, 718-298-2011, and I do a little nishmas, my father. Yes, so let's, um, hear, so let's hear about the follow-up. Okay, so when last week when I called, his question was that he had a fear of being alone and the dark, and um, it gave him the tool of visualizing something that would put him at ease. So he visualized he has, like, shishim and uh, gilodim around yes. him. Right. So um, it, from his fear of being a number 10 of him, let's say, not ever being alone, now it's, let's say, a two, around a two or a three. Wow. Um, most of the time he... He goes upstairs, downstairs by himself. Um, so what helped him is right before he, let's say, I, like I gave him a lot of opportunities over the week, much more than usual, um, to have him experience that, to work on it, and was very open to it. Um, even though we did try a lot of other techniques in the past, like we went to other therapists that we did techniques, this one helped, helped him because um, he was able to visualize that he's in there right now, like he has around him. That's right. Right. So it really helped him. 
my question is, how, how much do I have to help him? So right now, before he wants to go to any new, let's say he wants to go upstairs, downstairs, to the basement, like he'll, he'll come to me and he'll just say, this is what I'm thinking about, and he'll describe it, and then he'll go do it with no fear, full of confidence. When does he transition to he himself is visualizing it without verbalizing it to me? And when does he always have to visualize? Like, when is the transition point? It definitely helps him. Okay. Until now. So, yeah. so let's go take over your question. So first, the feedback is, Bachshim, it worked from a fear of yes. an 8 to a 10. It went down to a 2. Fantastic. Yes. And Thank what you, you see is he's able to go upstairs. He was afraid to be upstairs alone or be downstairs alone. He was afraid of the darkness as well. And um, I f don't remember, was it only in the house or he said also in school? Remind. No, only in the house. It was only in the house, right. So the advice that he felt was that would work with his subconscious was that if he has uh, making the assumption that you say Kriyashma with him and he's able to visualize it and feel like the Malachim are watching him or he's got 60 soldiers, but when you say Kriyashma, the information is in our mind, so all we have to do is retract it, retrieve what gives him security. So for him, it was imagining the 60 soldiers, Shishim Gebarim, that Shleima similar to what Shleima Melech had around his bed. And once right. he has it, the subconscious now feels safe. So right. now your question was, and we saw dramatic change, right? He's able to go upstairs, right. downstairs. Now, for all of you right. listening, i got to give a little waiver here. Most people that come to me in my private practice are not this successful, which means when you've got someone from a healthy background, healthy, successful, I should say, able to function all over, then in one or two sessions you can clear that up. Most of the time, I'm not getting little children that have these issues. Most of the time, people are coming to me for about 20 to 30 sessions, if not even a little longer, because there is so much to clear up. It's not just a little fear that's age-appropriate, and we can give the tools. Therefore, the tools that I'm going to give you now, the suggestion I'm going to make is really specifically for you. <coughs> but most of the time when I get an issue, it's 20 years going on over there. The entire mind frame has shifted, and that's why maybe we could also explain to people why therapy takes so long to heal because if someone has, if someone's got red lenses on, the glasses, they have red lenses, they believe the whole world is red. They see everything in red. They learn to differentiate colors with that red tinge to it. Different people, different buildings. And now all of a sudden you're taking off the red lenses, the whole world looks different. They don't recognize themselves. They don't recognize the colors. You need to reteach yourself. You need to relearn the world. And let's take that with an emotion. If someone was always afraid to verbalize, to communicate, to say their thoughts and feelings, wherever they go, they're afraid. Oh, you mean I'm allowed to ask a Rebbe a question? Oh, you mean I'm allowed to speak to a therapist? You mean I'm allowed to question a doctor? Mm -hmm. You mean I'm allowed to question a parent? And it's not called chutzpah, it's not called paigeya and the covered, or it's not the Rebbein Shlem is going to punish me for all that? And that's many times with the therapy, why, ther why therapy takes several sessions, because you've got to correct or balance various different scenarios where the wound or where the distortion happened. So now let's go to your son. Baruch Hashem, if he can have that huge change in just five minutes of speaking to me, two things for you to realize. The brain will balance itself more and more, so just give it time to balance itself. So how long was he afraid? Many years. He went, he went to at least three to four therapists, and I... He, he's very verbal and very open about it. He yeah. really tried working on it for many, many years. That's right. So in, so in one week, or let's say in five minutes, we've balanced what he's been living with for three years. So right. give him even three weeks. I usually tell people, give me one session for one year that you live with that 24-7. That's 8,700. I forgot how many minutes there is 
um, hours there are in a year. So if you want one session by me, imagine. But if a person's still living with it for, let's say, uh -huh. three years, then give it three years. It's usually more. But so in five minutes, we've practically we rebalance your, su your son's subconscious. Now, so give him three weeks just to be telling you. There's a little exercise that you can do with him as well, and you can have him listen to this. And that uh -huh. is when he's asking you or telling you, Ma, I'm going upstairs, ask him, like at a calm time, tell him, okay, this is the exercise Mordechai asked us to do. And that uh -huh. is, what are you feeling? When you're telling me, are you just reassuring me because you think maybe I'm afraid? Maybe you think I'm not used to it and I'll be worried where you're going because many times kids are thinking about their parents. Or he'll say, is, I just want you to know I feel more secure that way. Then you can do the same process that I did last week. Okay, Why, what security do you have when I know that you're going? Oh, I just know if something happens, I can always call you and you'll be on the guard. Think them, okay, so now let's tune into you. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of will happen? And then what is an emotional solution? Emotional solution means it's not real. What is something that doesn't have to be real, but if you follow, if you imagine that just like with the Shishim Gebayrim that worked on you, and just feel that. And now imagine you can go upstairs, downstairs, all over in the pitch dark, and you don't even have to tell me. Have him go through the process in his mind. And okay. once you got that, you can do that. But if he says, you know, it's okay, I just feel comfortable telling it to you, don't push him yet. You, I've worked with him, how long was it, five minutes, ten minutes on the phone? Right. In right. ten minutes, we've done three years of work. That's amazing, and it's a huge siyata dishmaya. Right. Thank you. Um, so, so basically, you would say, give it three, four weeks until I see he's comfortable with me, uh, with him coming over to me, um, and let's say describing what he sees around him, and then uh, it, the transition would be him not coming. Let's say if I will see myself also if he's coming to me less, that means I take the cue from him that he's ready to like just visualize in his head. That's right. But I also just want to understand is the brain needs time to adjust from someone being afraid right. of three years. It's right. just normal. I always tell parents, I, I decided to sort of pay attention to one of my children. Then I've done to two of my children. How long does it take a child to walk? So your <laughs> mother with several kids sound like the way, the way Leo described it. How long do you think from even your experience does it take a child from when they haven't gotten up to stand, they can get up to when they're able to run? From when they could just stand up to when they could run? Yeah. Six to eight months? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I was amazed to see that, like, first kids are, like, just getting up and falling a thousand times a day. Then they're taking that step. Then they're finally running straight or walking straight. Then they're finally running. But then it's so cute to see when they're running and then they want to make those sharp turns, either right or left. They have to make these huge turns like a truck. Uh -huh. And I was paying uh -huh. attention. Wow. So this kid is walking, running but still haven't mastered yet that halter, and that takes months of work, which they try a thousand times a day. So right. your son is just sort of, the brain was just rebalanced. Give the brain the process. I find parents call me up many times with such frantic, my kid isn't, it's age appropriate. Some kids get it at, you know, some kids will start walking at 12 months, and some kids will start walking at 15 months. Give the brain the time, or even 16, 17 months. Give it time for it to happen. So what I'm telling you is don't first be concerned. Let him tell you about it. Let him talk about it. Give it three weeks. This is still regular. Fine. If you want, you can try pushing him and telling him, okay, let's try practicing without you telling me. But I wouldn't even say that. I, you might find in the next week he'll just stop telling you. It'll just become normal right. for him just to do it. Right. Okay. Thank and, you. Um, yeah, just this question about, um, if you don't mind, the, the actual, when you asked him to visualize something that puts him at ease and he came up with this whole thing, um, how come... Just thinking of me being with him or isn't, doesn't put him at ease. Because in a real situation, let's say it's the middle of the day and he wants to go from 
whatever, to the kitchen, from the kitchen to the dining room or upstairs by himself, and he doesn't want to. If even my little, uh, my four-year-old would go with him, he's, he'll, he's comfortable going with a four-year-old upstairs, even though a four-year-old cannot protect him. So how come when he visualizes it, um, he has to visualize such an extreme, like a shishim gibonim, why can't he visualize a four-year-old? Because that also puts him at ease, and he also goes upstairs as a four-year-old. So here is actually where I guess I can share more information with this question. The subconscious is such an amazing system and powerful tool. And Mm -hmm. I take a lot of information that 99% of my clients have no idea what I hear when they do the subconscious. And to tell you all, it's interesting when I would get one or two clients that would listen to my questions from the phone line or even from the radio, which I'm not really taking people, but they would tell me, you know, you're so different in therapy on the phone line. Like you're busy talking and on, you know, on jradio.com, you're giving advice. And here in therapy, you're having me do all the work. Like you're more quiet. And instead of answering my question, what I should do, you tell me, oh, what do you think should be done? Like you're helping the person find their power. That is what I find is real therapy. Now let's take that to the next level. The subconscious will tell you exactly what it's missing by when it tells you the refuah that it used. So if your son has picked 60 giborim, what it's telling you is the subconscious does not feel secure and safe. So maybe having someone with him will give him a partial security. Maybe he might not do everything there. But what I hear is that he's looking for security. And if it would have been a real session, I would have gone to more detail. Describe me the malachim. How many are there? Describe me the soldiers. What can they protect you from? And then you would go into deeper what was the fear. Because I really didn't get to the deep root. I won't tell the client what I heard from that because it's not that important. We can spend hours analyzing each point. But when Mm -hmm. I'm training sort of someone with me and when I've trained some other people, the concept was as the therapist, you need to be aware what other subconscious fears going on. There might be two, three other sessions. So for example, let's say his fear would be that I was once going in the street and I didn't feel safe. So now these soldiers will protect me. Okay, you're worried about a robber. What are you worried about a robber or a kidnapper coming in as we did with him? And then you go further. Do you know anyone that was kidnapped? Another session might go into that. What can we do to imagine that that kidnapped person will feel safe or can break out of it? When we Mm -hmm. give the subconscious, so one of the first rules that I teach about the subconscious is never judge and never suggest. Cognitive and behavioral therapy, the therapist in cognitive is a more co-worker working along and even sometimes suggesting or confronting certain ideas. Behavioral mm-hmm. therapists, they're even leading. you got to do this. This is our goal. This is your behavior. In the subconscious therapy, it's almost the exact opposite. We don't offer any advice just to help out, like with imagination. So maybe you want malacha, maybe you want that. Almost at all times when I train the people, when I train this, you do not give any opinion your thoughts because the subconscious knows exactly what it needs, how it needs. And many times the person will say, that felt good. I felt it got me to an 8, but to feel the confidence of a 10, I also need to have my mother there, but only at night and only in front of my door. Whatever the subconscious needs, as once you get experience with it, you begin to learn to read what the subconscious is looking for. So instead of judging why is this working, why that's not working, the subconscious is an amazing part of the brain that does not work logical or rational. And therefore, if we can just let him heal itself. So the short version when you do it is we're not going so deep into it. It's not real deep surgery. But when I do therapy, I am paying attention to times of cause, paying attention to how quick or how powerful each creative idea worked or each imagination worked. I'm looking at the type of tools that they use. I've had some person to say that the only way he feels safe is when they're dead. And that oh. also was extreme to me. Why? 
Many times people right. would use physical things. Oh, the only way I feel safe is I can kill this and this person. And then again, you need to use your experience. Why? And then you're being told what's happening. So the subconscious solutions that a person uses tells you actually a lot about what pain and what's going on in there. But none of this do I discuss really with the clients because the focus that I have, if I've got 45 minutes, is more the healing process. But in um, deeper trainings is where you do teach the underlying thoughts, what really goes on by the subconscious. So amazing. I never thought of it. The reason that he gives, that makes him calm, that's the underlying reason of a fear that he has. So you it, would explore that more. Exactly. But do not tell it to him. Not, right, right, right. Exactly. So what, that's right. So what, the, let's say he would be a client of mine. The next session I would ask him is, what's going on in your life where you're not feeling safe? Or where else don't you feel completely safe that if you would have soldiers, you'd be more confident? And then, we, or maybe in the past, when was a time in your past that maybe someone had a father, maybe he had a fight with a friend, and the other father came in, or the Rebbe took the other one's side, or in the own family, whatever it should be. And oh, if I have someone watching me, then I feel safe. I get a lot of awareness, or I should say, ninety percent of what I do with people, people are not even aware of, and that's subconscious language, subconscious expression. Right, but that, that would imply like his fear of let's say not being alone, being alone would imply that he's that he doesn't live in a safe house, that I don't give him that security. But I know, let's see, I know based on my, the classes I taught him, different things, that I, I give him that security. That's right. But again, you're saying you give him. Maybe he needs it from a male figure. Sometimes we go into the, sometimes... Me and my husband, right. I know that, but you don't, well, that's why we ask. We never uh-huh. assume. So... Just for example, I'm just taking a course, and it has a lot, even though I primarily do not deal with children, my primary you know, clients are from, let's say, from 10 and up. But I always take different courses out. This one of them with children was, and it was, I enjoyed hearing that, where the person is saying, you're going to, let's say, color, let's say, a child. Let, you'll have a, like a, sort of looks like actually the gingerbread man, just an outline. Mm-hmm. Then you've got different emotions, angry, sad, hurt, excited, happy. And you let the child pick a color, a crayon to color. What, which motion do you want to feel will represent happy which one will be angry mm-hmm. which one will be sad right. now i like that because i've taken a different course where they had and they subjected they told you red means angry so if anyone ever covers the word red it means they're angry anyone that's blue must be happy anyone that's black is major depression and i have an issue with that because i do a lot of subconscious work and people start telling me different colors wow i'm the most peaceful blackness that's out there there's like no responsibility i mamish feel one with the rabbinish lalem and what I found working with people's subconscious is every color means different to a different person. So it's just nice hearing mm-hmm. that. When you deal yeah. with the subconscious, the less we subject, the less we assume, and the more we're objective that we're asking. So, so he would say, yeah, I have 60 soldiers. I made that assumption now. But if I would ask him, why is it 60 soldiers? He will say, oh, because 60 Shishim Geborim is just a number. They can be all over the world. It might not be that he's so scared. I've given you an assumption, but I haven't really done enough questions with him because it wasn't mm-hmm. a real therapy. So mm-hmm. if we could not make the assumption that maybe Shishin Gabarim is that he imagines at night that when he says it, so that's why he picked that number. Maybe it could really only be one. Mm-hmm. So we're making a lot of assumptions here, but right. I'm just giving you and the listeners a little bit of information about the Thank subconscious. You. Yeah, that the less subjective we are, the less we assume, and the more we're objective just to listen the more powerful, I've, as I train, the more powerful and effective the therapist can be. Thank you for the feedback. Thank and I you. appreciated you, you so also much. letting Elio call in, you know, to be on air. It's a brave part on you and your husband's part and on him. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for everything. Okay. We're going to go next. We're going to go next to Ezra. Just before we go to Ezra, we're going to take a question from Yeshiva World. 
I have a son who has a terrible temper. He is eight years old, and if he doesn't sleep well or gets upset, he says the most horrible things to me. My husband, to my, to me, my husband and his siblings. He says things like, "I'm going to kill you," using very district, district, descriptive terms. How do I deal with this? Do I ignore him? His siblings are afraid of him when he acts this way. It hurts me to see him with so much anger. It hurts me to hear him call me names. He's also the oldest, and his behavior is not affecting his siblings so well. Please advise. Thanks so much. Okay, here we're going to go to the question, sort of why. We appreciate where we take all the questions out there, but we try not to take um, parenting questions. Let me explain it to you. It is extremely normal for kids to use this language, for kids to get upset, for kids to use very strong temper language, even I'm going to kill you. It's extremely normal as well for parents to have the tools to know how to deal with it. And that means that we can say, hey, let's teach you on the practice and how to stop, how to put in a behavior, how to focus on the behavior, and for you to understand how to teach them what words to use when you're angry. As well as you're saying it hasn't yet affected the siblings or it's not affecting them that much. But unfortunately, if kids see that older children can get away, and this is normal behaviors of expressing anger, normal behavior of getting out of doing things, and this is what they will do, then other siblings learn how to do this. And this, unfortunately, many times happens in Shalom Bayis, where you have one of the spouses are abusive or they had huge neglect in their childhood, they do not know how to take care of their children. They're, I'm having stress now, so right now I can't bathe the kids. I'm having stress now, I can't give supper. I'm having stress now, the house is going to be a mess. Because they were neglected, they weren't given the information and the behavior how when you're under stress, you still do your tasks. After that, you will find a time where to deal with your emotions. There are times and a place where you can do it once a day, times you'll do it once a week. So your affect behavior, regulations. This is all important for children to learn. That's why if there's neglect, they're almost raised in the wild. So yes, they might be wonderful people, but their behaviors are going to be growling when I'm angry. So they could be wonderful people to help you, but once they get angry, they turn into this Mr. Jackal and Dr. Hyde. They turn into different people. So again, for you, your kid is extremely normal. It's what we need the parents to have the tools how to deal with it. Now, even though I say it's extremely normal, let me just say it as follows. And this is a question for you to ask yourself. Are you or your husband abusive a little? means you yell, you scream, and you don't have control over your own emotions. When you get angry and it's bedtime and he's, or when your son is fighting, what do you do? Are you yelling and screaming? Get to bed right now. What are you doing? You're fighting. Are you yelling and screaming? I've even heard one of the most wonderful people that I know, but sometimes when you see them on a personal level, you see them yelling, you guys are idiots. How could I have children like you? You guys are animals. And going, wow, a parent that's discussing love, emotion, caring. But once they're triggered, where do they get turned into? And then seeing that parent and being that a little bit of history we found out about their past, that was both their parents. So this wonderful, amazing person, once they get triggered. Now, when you're saying your eight-year-old boy is like this, eight to understand it's a normal reaction or behaviors for kids to do. And it's normal for parents to learn, have the skills how to stop it. At the same time, please recognize as well as how do you or your husband or your husband and you, or sorry, or you or your wife deal with issues once they are triggered. So thank you for that question from the Lakewood School. We're going to Ezra. Ezra online too. Thank you for holding. Hello. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Fantastic. Baruch Hashem. Okay. I'm uh, asking this, this question in front of people i shouldn't but i am and i'm going to try to speak low well then but, let's uh, start before let's ask why you shouldn't first is um, it about you is it about others might it affect family let's first deal with that it's a 
about me? Yes. Um, basically, you said in the beginning, right before you started taking calls, you said about... Codependence. Uh, yeah. Helping um, others, yes. And you said that when a... When a person uh, feels sort of... Uh, let's say he wants to help the other person, the other person's not getting helped. So he feels down himself. Um, I sort of got over that with other people. It used to happen to me. But I'm sorry, I just got wife. distracted over here. Just give me one second. Um, Aaron, I see what you're saying about line three, and just cut it. Well, we're, we're not taking that. Great, I'm sorry. I'm just going to go right back to you. Just, just repeat that. Okay, um, with other people, yeah. I would try to help them. And uh, they wouldn't be able to get help, and I would be bothered, and I would sort of feel down, because they were down and everything. But I got over that Baruch Hashem a couple of years ago. I'm uh, married now, and I uh, get the same thing with my wife. And yes. when she, when she's down, I'm down. When she's happy, I'm happy. Um, but I don't know, is that considered the same thing? Ezra, like you are an amazing. First, let me tell you, me and you are brothers and soul. <laughs> Not only because <laughs> we're from... Well, this is one of the hardest parts for a therapist to deal with. And let's understand what you're saying. If you're a therapist, you have compassion for people. You feel for them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to use a little tough love. If you can't use tough love or setting boundaries, then you're going to be overwhelmed in this field. So I would right, say so this. you got to shut it down. But when it comes to your wife. <laughs> that's right. Now let's go to the next level. Now let's go to exactly what you're saying. Codependence is, let me give you a real life yeah. example. And this is not telling for parents. I'll give three, four examples. And the reason why I'd like to focus on your question is because codependence, I find, is probably second most diagnosed issue in our from world. And that's why we're having a huge amount of issues. So let me give you two, three examples, real life, where it happens. Okay. Um, a parent has got a kid going off the derach. And because they hear so much how the parents, are, how the, the therapists and people are saying, you got to connect with your son, you got to take them where they are. This parent is taking the kids to the movies. This parent is telling the kids, do many things. You know, doing it, I'll do it with you. Now, I'm going to say this, and there are some unbelievable people out there that take um, Avi Fischoff, where he does amazing work with teens at risk, and he is teaching parents to actually do that, give the kids what they need. But I just want to clarify, his system is at a certain level, which means just one of the examples they use is, unfortunately, if someone has got cancer, you need to put poison in the body to fight it. But you don't just give Hashem a cancer treatment for someone that's got strep, which means as well, so this parent where the kid isn't going off the derech, just the kid was interested in this or that, and the parent goes, since I want to connect with you, I will take you to the next extreme. So then the parent actually educated the kid and let them do things which was not appropriate, and which open, opened the kid's mind because they felt, I have to connect. Now, if you speak to that parent, that parent will now tell you, when I was growing up, I never had a parent. And I did so many bad things because I didn't have anyone. So now, if I connect, at least I know how, fat, how bad it's going to go. The problem is this parent can't say no. And now the kid wants to do more and more. And now the parent is contacting me. What do I do? Mm -hmm. It's the one issue. Let's take now another issue. Someone has got a sibling, a brother or sister. The parents are dysfunctional. So they want to take the brother into their house. And again, all these are true stories. They take the brother in and they want to connect with the brother. But now the brother, and let's assume the kid is 10 or 12, doesn't want to go to sleep. And, oh, I'm not going to be strict with his brother because he had such a hard time. So now this brother is keeping up all the other siblings. You're not putting him to sleep on time. He's waking up kvetchy. The Rebbeim are now starting to call you about issues. And you're trying not to be strict because he needs so much love. So we're trying to help the person. 
Now let's take another example, a therapist. His or her life is being completely overwhelmed because there's one or two clients that need them and are texting them every time there's an emergency, please call me. They speak to them for 15, 20 minutes and it's enough. Sometimes they need an hour, but most of the time five minutes is enough. They will be thrown out of life. Let's take one more example, a work. A worker is at, in the job and thinking, you know something, my boss needs help, let me stay later. Or the boss says, please stay, and it's on top of the family time. And this person won't even verbalize, you know, it's hard. Codependence is when I feel hurt by saying no. It's almost a level of control, which is saying, if I won't help my wife, if I won't help my children, if I won't help my boss, if I won't help my kahila, if I won't help this brother of mine, if I won't help this child, then chas v'shalem, the worst things will happen. And that's where I find that so many of us, where we're dealing with major shalom bias, and I'm going to use this question. I'm not going to say who, but I heard a panel of three therapists where they asked the question, what does someone do if their wife doesn't want to go for therapy? And one was saying, please understand it. And they were giving different opinions over there. And they said wonderful ideas, but I felt the most important one was missing. And that is, get that husband to therapy. What do you mean you're going to allow your wife not to go for therapy if she has got major emotional issues? Number one, it will happen to the children. We see that over and over. We've had callers calling in saying they've let their husband go through the abuse of life, that their wife, and now they've got one or two people. We had one lady say her husband has anger issues and one kid had an eating disorder, one daughter, and I forgot what was the issue with her son. Let's understand, we don't deal with the issues. It's our weakness that we're not strong enough. And the muscle that I give to that is, Chaz HaShalom, if your wife has got a broken leg and you see clearly it's broken, it's swelling up and she doesn't want to go to the doctor, to the hospital. So maybe a day you'll let her lay in bed and she's going, oh, bring me lunch, bring me supper. How could you go to work? Now what happens if I need the bathroom during the day? Why are you going to say, it's okay, just stay there in bed because my wife is in pain, she needs my help? Or will you say, lady, you've got a broken leg. We got to deal with it. Or will the wife, you got to get strong enough to say, husband, Tyra, I love you, I respect you. Get a life, get better. What will you do? I think I'm getting the, the nimshal, but I'm wondering if I'm correct. Good. <laughs> uh, um, you, I don't whatever, continue. Yeah. No, no, I'd like you, please rephrase that or, or just repeat what I've said to make sure we're both clear. So the nimshal is that just like someone, you know, go ahead, you repeat it. I've done a lot of talking so far. <laughs> No, I mean, uh, just like if uh, someone has a broken leg or whatever, they got to go to the doctor. You're not going to just let them sit there. So uh, I don't want to say that the same thing with my wife. Am I supposed to boomerang that to my wife? <laughs> um, of course, but since it's a wife and since it's an issue and since you are... Well, I don't like diagnosing codependence because I feel codependence is everyone. We need to have a connection to someone. The point mm -hmm. is, when you need to be assertive, are you able to? Are you feeling guilty? Are you feeling horrible over being assertive? Um... Not, not really. I'm, I'm better. Yeah, I'm talking about when she's like really like sad, and uh, you can't do anything about it. She continues to rave and rant, and there's, Let's there's no reason. Let's rephrase. What does that mean? We can't do anything about that. Let me understand that. Oh, a hug won't work. A kiss won't work. Uh, Let's you know, stop a second. You're trying to offer advice, right? I'm trying to just calm her down. Just be okay, there. Okay, right. For Hold her. on. So you're trying to calm her down, correct? How many times have you tried to calm her down? 20 times? Well, 40 times? Well, sometimes it works, and sometimes there's times when most I, I would time, try... How does it work? Um, most of the time, I would try to give her a, a hug. Give not her what a you're doing. No, no, we're not going into what you're doing. Oh, oh. How many times does it work when you try to calm her down? 
I guess most of the time it works, but there are many, many times that it, that it doesn't. That should just push me away or get away. I don't want. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not in the mood for you. So let's clarify something. Do you feel this is something that a husband is supposed to do, or do you feel this is something that needs more experience? I know a husband's supposed to be there for their wife. I just don't know to what extent. Okay, so if a wife's got a broken leg, are you supposed to now be there for her and just give her everything and drop your work? Or are you supposed to say, okay, this is the role, husbands, I'm here. Like, we all have bad days. We all have tough times. You can share and discuss it with me. But yelling, screaming, you need some tools how to learn how to deal with your emotions. So who's the one that was sending to the doctor, me or my wife? <laughs> um, so let's put it that way. Um, how much do you feel that you have to do it and it's your responsibility and you're down? If she doesn't get better right away, you're down. Mm. How much of your day is tied into your wife? How many, how many times during the day are you thinking about your wife? I hope her mood is okay. Uh, well, uh, it, it, it lasts for a little bit, but not, it's not like my whole day shot. Okay. How confident or how strong are you to be able to get your wife to a therapist? Because this is something that needs therapy. Needs guidance, even the Rav. Forget about even yet. Let's not even jump to a therapist or Rebbitson. If it's a lady, I'm a big believer in them going, you know, speaking to women. How Again, easy how, are you going to get her to go? Well, there's money involved, and then there's actually talking to her and getting her to go, and uh, it's uh, possible. But it's, it's hard. Not easy. <laughs> That's right. That's where you need a little help. What I find with people that are codependent, and just to give you an, advice, uh, an idea just to share with you, in almost all addiction stuff, so AA for alcoholics, GA for gambling, I'm not going to go into all the different ones, or even overeaters or OA for overeaters, for the addiction, there's something called Al-Anons, which Al-Anon is for alcoholic and Gaminon for those that are gambling, and for the overeaters, which they find that the family members are the ones, and that's where this word codependent came in, with family members are stuck and tied to getting things better, that I needed to get better, and that's why I'm trying to help out. And it's very painful to us, for us to watch our spouses, our children, or our parents behave in negative behavioral patterns, and therefore we're going to change our lives for them. And mm -hmm. we've got to be able to be strong enough to say, I respect you. The Rebbein has given you an Asayan, and you've got to figure out how to put the kids to sleep. Yelling and screaming is not acceptable. And again, most of the time when a husband or a wife is clear within themselves, it's not done with anger and tension. It's done with the inner awareness of, okay, this is the Rebbein put everyone on this world. We've got to grow in your Shemayim physical. On physical ways, we also have to grow emotional. So mm -hmm. I would recommend maybe you go to one or two sessions or maybe you try to join any of those groups if you'd like, like the Al-Anon or any of those, and just to see how you'll see how their dependence on the person, they're needing to control my happiness is depending on that person. My family will get only better once my wife or her husband recognizes they have a problem or my child recognizes they have a problem. And if we can move out of that, it makes things much easier. Mm -hmm. So it's basically on me. Uh, uh, like, basically, what what sh what is uh, okay? Uh, the normal, I guess, the the average way to deal with it to 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 try to help, and then if it's not working, walk away, wait till it's over, and then continue the day or that the night or whatever. That needs to be individualized. I need to discuss it with you because, like, more one on one. I need to know how many times your wife has her outbursts or her depression modes. We need to find out. I don't know even if you have children. Don't give me this information, but this is just an assessment mode that a therapist does. Do, okay, do, we have okay, to, okay. do we have to push her quicker because there are children involved? 
Um, do we have to push her more? Is the marriage being affected? Maybe you like it, maybe not. Does she have other family members that might be triggering her and it might not even be that? She might need to learn how to now face her issues that she hasn't dealt with mother, father, brother, sister triggering her. There can be so many issues that are going on. So all this is where you need sort of an evaluation where a therapist takes into account. And some of her issues might even be you. Or it might be completely you that you're not even aware of, and then you're reassuring her. You know, yeah, so. right, yeah. I mean, I, I know what you're talking about. I, I've been through a, to a therapist for many other right. things. Uh, I also know self-analyzation. I'm very good at that. Not right. posting, but whatever. Right. <laughs> and, um, All right, Ezra. Thank I, I you. I guess I can analyze. Yeah. All right. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you for your much. call. Thank you for the information. We're just going to take one or two texts, and then we're going to go to Simcha Online 1. Just we've got a question all the way from England. Where is that one? Hi, I'm writing to you from overseas, really enjoying your hotline. My question is as follows. What advice do you give to a 10-year-old boy who comes back every day unclean, not careful with his hygiene after the bathroom? His family went through a difficult time. The situation is now much better, but he doesn't seem to pick himself up. He is, by the way, one of the youngest in a large family. Very simple. Get him to a therapist. Um, one of the things that's called enuresis and encompresis, that's for children that are keeping in their, their stool or their... Urine, and along those lines, one of the main things that we pay attention to if they're not going to the bathroom is, A, are they embarrassed? Did someone ever make fun of them? But it's also control. Is there a controlling parent in the background? Is there, are they not getting love? And they're trying to keep everything tense in their system. Are there some stresses still going on from the difficult times that their body has not regulated itself or rebalanced itself and children still keep in their tension? And that's one of the signs that they're not able to feel that they had to numb themselves due to the situation. I would definitely recommend play therapy or child therapy for this kid. Even though he's 10 years old, it can be a great way for him to be able to release that. Um, let's go ahead and take Simcha. Simcha, you're on line one. You're on the air with Mordechai. For those of you tuning in now, you're listening to Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. You're listening to us live on jrootradio.com, watching us live on jrootradio.com, on yeshivaworld.com, on thelakewoodscoop.com. You can listen to us on the Jroot Radio phone line on FNW and on my phone line. That's 718-298-2011. My phone line, we got daily questions, motivational quotes, and um, Shiram over there. Simcha on line one, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi. Um, how are you? I'm First, Baruch Hashem, fantastic. Like Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, my question is like this. I'm currently seeing a therapist for anxiety, which has been, I guess, increasing in a way, even while I'm going to, to, to a therapist. And my... Uh, confidence and his abilities, just the feeling I get is just that, is that he could be, I feel he's a bit amateur. Now, wait, wait, hold on, let me clarify. Wait, you've just, you've just what? certain words, I just didn't understand what you said. You, the feelings are increasing, so it means anxiety is increasing, and you said something about amateur? Well, no, he's a proper therapist, a proper psychologist. I just, it's the feeling I get that he... He's not maybe um, He's not experienced in anxiety. Sometimes different people have different specialties. Either an anxiety or just in my case specifically. Like he mentioned to me at one point, how he, you know there are different factors. He's not sure exactly which way to go. He also, he also brought me in for um, a group like session with other psychologists, just like to sort of get a direction. Um, but even with that, like I just feel that I'm not 100 percent confident in his ability. Now I think that it is going somewhere. And he feels also that he has what to offer me. And the question is, like, I've spoken to other people, and they said they also know another therapist. He's supposed to be very good. He's like, um, 
Okay, very good. Now, but they said that he's a little bit more stern. Now, my question is, is there something like that won't go well with my personality, or just that means that he's like more like down to business, but he, he, that, I don't think he's helping me that's something that could work for me. So I hear two questions and your one question. Let's, let's see if I got your yeah. question straight and dividing it in two parts. Part number one is that you're going to therapist for anxiety. You see the symptoms are increasing. And, and part of what you're feeling is that you're, even though he's got a great name out there, you don't feel confident or he's not showing confidence. And he's even getting advice from others, which we'll discuss in a minute if it's a problem or not. Um, but you're not feeling confident in his work. And he's even verbalized that he's not that sure about what to do. That's question number one. So is that normal? That's question number one. And number two is um, that you said your personality and his personality is a little bit different. He's more a stern type personality, more strict. And sounds like what you're saying is I'm inferring that you're probably a more chilled out, more nature, correct? Um, the first part was correct. The second part is, no, um, on the contrary, I'm like more of a soft person and that's what he's like. But other people are telling me that I'm not to switch, that he's, like, he's very good. However, he's a little bit more to the point. He's more serious, let's say. So the question is if it's what? worth switching over for, for that, um, I guess, miles for that priority. I'm still not getting the last part. What type of therapy is he? He does to the point, and that's not good for you? No, it's just a matter of switching to the point. No, he's a little bit more stern. Like, and therefore what? Not How is that clashing? And therefore, it might not be well with my personality because I'm not. Good. So let me rephrase. So your question is that your personality and his personality are a little bit clashing. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. That's what I thought. I said. Now, let me ask you a separate question. Is part of your anxiety about being confident about things, saying something? Are you confident? Can you say a yes, a no, eighty percent? Or are you always, everything this, is a svara? At, at this point, that has gone down. I used to be able to do more, but I, I feel I have certainly a decrease. Okay. So let's go to your first question. The first part of the question was, does a therapist have to be confident in the work that they're doing with you? I am a very big believer in yes. Your feelings, I'm a huge believer that emotions are something that's felt. And that's something that's given over. And what a person wants to feel when they're going to a therapist is, I am qualified and equipped with Siata de Shemaya to help you. I don't know if I will be the right shliach, but this is something I can deal with. And I believe if a therapist is not experienced or doesn't have or doesn't feel confident in it, then they need to express it to the client that the client can have an option to say, okay, I want to continue, I don't want to continue. I've recently got a question which I took because I don't deal much with that and I liked it for a challenge, and that was about a selective mute. Now, being that I don't deal with it that much, but Baruch Hashem, we are highly successful. And if I told the client, I feel confident based on what I heard that I can be partially the right shliach involved, but I don't have experience, much experience in it. So therefore, if you'd like, go ahead. I have some experience. I've had, Baruch Hashem, a nice amount of people that I help, but to say I do that 30% of my time even, or 50% of my client base, no. It's probably 5% or 2%. And Baruch Hashem, we had huge successes, and it wasn't even that whole issue. So you need to have confidence in what you're doing, and that confidence does come across to the client or... I'm not such a big believer in doing that type of therapy or working with that person. And where you and usually you base your confidence on experience. And as you have experience, you go to areas where you're not that familiar with because that's the way everyone grows. But then you still bring in another person for advice, but you let the client know about that. 
And if you don't feel things are growing or changing, then after three to six sessions or even nine sessions, if you're already going three months to the therapist and it's not moving, I usually recommend go for a second opinion or change. Three months which would say, let's say you're doing once a week, so it's four, eight, 12 sessions is more than enough for you to get to see results. I'll go for two months. Two months. So then I would say, do you see it getting better or worse? I was getting worse over the period of time. Okay. I wasn't getting better. Okay. He felt that there was a certain amount to work with, and he, he was able to help me, but at the point, I didn't feel anything. Okay. I think I would recommend that at this point you speak to the therapist and saying it's eight sessions, what's going on? I can even tell you I have right now a current client, which I was very hesitant to take for whatever the case was, and we've now done at session four, I said I would like to terminate, and the client said, no, I'd like to continue. We're now at session about 13, and things are moving very slowly, and the client is saying, okay, what do we do? I said, well, this is the speed that we're moving. If we don't have certain options that are needed here, that we're holding that back, so this is where we're holding. It's extremely important to be able to do an evaluation every couple of sessions. This is what we've gained. Is it moving fast enough? Is it not moving fast enough? What do we need to do? Maybe we need another type therapy modality. Maybe we need another therapist. Maybe we need medication. Uh, Maybe we need other tools. Maybe you need to bring in someone else. Sometimes I do family therapy. When I'm working with a client, it's not working enough. You bring in a parent for one or two sessions, it's amazing how it gets things moving. And I'm even referring to 30-year-old people sometimes where, for whatever reason, the parents are very involved and you're doing that. So, again, to go with you, you've had eight sessions. It's getting worse. Now it's time to definitely have a meeting with a therapist the next session. Where are we going from here? If you can say that you've done 12 sessions and there are little changes or no changes or getting worse, I recommend time to change therapist. Or at least discuss it with a therapist. The therapist might say, well, I told you, I think your case needs medication. And if you don't want to take it, you have now a choice trying a different modality, trying a different therapist, or trying medication or whatever else is out there. Mm-hmm. That's the first part. Now to the second part about matches, about your personality and a therapist's personality. The answer, no, you're, let's say, more stern, or he's more stern, more to the point, you're more gentler. I found many times when I've gone to different therapists, when I speak to different therapists, opposites attract. Many times, same personality attracts. Doesn't matter his personality or your personality. It, means, it matters how open can you be with a therapist? How much can you divulge? How much can you practice? How much can you say, I can do this or I can't do that? If you're afraid the therapist is going to yell at you and therefore you can't be open, you might say you've done certain thoughts or you've done certain actions which are wrong, which might even be certain avayers, and you can't uh, divulge that to your therapist, then this therapist is not good for you. Or you might not be ready to open up and therefore you might have to go for several months to therapy to be able to open up. The personality, for me to say a personality is always, if it's the same type, that's what you open up to, not necessarily. I've seen strong people open up to very gentle emotional therapists, and I've seen some gentle people love a strong, powerful personality because this way they can start learning um, through role play, through actual mirroring, through actual actually mimicking and dealing with a therapist that has boundaries, that has assertiveness, and the person's actually getting a lot of experience that way. So I would ask you, how comfortable are you to tell the therapist everything, even if it's not working? Even if it's not working. Yeah, do you feel comfortable telling the therapist it's really not working? This tool didn't work, that tool didn't work. Or are you going to try to say, yeah, I feel it's getting a little bit better. Do you feel comfortable saying it's just getting worse? Can you be you in the therapist office? Yes, I could certainly say that. There are certain things that I'm not ready to divulge, but... Let me ask you, why not? Here, I'm the therapist and me turn on. Why aren't you? <laughs> because I'm just embarrassed of them. Okay. 
So one of the things that I have a client that I reassure the person on the first session, and it's different with ages, you got to go differently, but I give them the reassurance, you can tell me everything. And I start going through certain things, sort of, you might have stole, you might beat someone up, you might do certain averas, you might wish you were in chas v'shalom, Yiddish, whatever. I go through a whole list of like 10 to 15 things where just feel comfortable saying it because I say it all day. If you can't divulge to the therapist, if you can't open up those issues, they might be the whole cause of anxiety. So you might be doing tools and working around a whole bunch of things but not going to the cause. It's almost like going to a doctor saying, I'm embarrassed to get undressed, so just look at me from 10 feet away and tell me how my heart's doing and is everything okay. Therapy is actually almost like getting undressed to the therapist. And the therapist's got to know how to deal with it, handle it. I've had a client tell me, oh, I told the therapist, and like we're doing, the person goes, oh, I can't tell you about this. I go, one night, he says, oh, because I once told my therapist about that. And says, what, how can you discuss such a thing in front of me? And the answer is that therapist was wrong. That's your job. That's the therapist's job to be able to help you identify and go into those deep, dark secrets that you might have never told anyone or certain abuse that might have happened to you or certain neglect that might have happened to you a certain, or a certain fear. I've had once someone tell me a kid who almost going off the derech or practically over the derech and saying at seven years old they once turned on the TV on Shabbos for a second, but since then they felt and they heard something about that, they knew they're bad and the Rabbi Shalom hates them. And they couldn't tell anyone because he knew that if he would tell it to me, I'm going to look down at him as the worst guy. So now this guy doesn't put on tefillin, Machal Shabbos B'Farhesia, and, but the pain is of that seven-year-old. But if we can't have the person feel safe to go into there, we could never heal. So mm-hmm. what I would tell you is... Sort of well, tell, I truthfully thought that after a couple of sessions, like, I would be too more comfortable to open up. And either you'll be comfortable or it's changed. also the therapist's job to push you. It's as well the therapist's job to push you. So I'm not shifting the shift. I'm not shifting it on to you. I'm teaching you what your rights are. Your rights are to have a therapist okay. that's going to push you to go to your deep, dark places and start healing you out. That's if the type mm-hmm. of method that the therapist is doing. Some, some people are behavioral. Like that's the issue that I have sometimes with coaching. I'm a huge fan of people that take ching, taking life coaching degrees. But don't assume that if you're a life coach, you're also a therapist. Life coaching is about the here and now. What's our goal? What's our behavior? Your anxiety, shut down. I, they're not allowed to deal with anxiety legally. But let's assume we're taking a life coach approach as just behavior. Fight the anxiety. Say absolutely not. And continue doing what you're doing. That is not, no, that's also not a therapy where you're healing the person. Why do you have it? If you have anxiety, it's coming for a reason. The anxiety is speaking. Learn to speak to the anxiety. So that's where your shidduch is very important with a therapist. doesn't matter the type they are. Can you open them up? I know a client or someone that was very badly abused. I try not to talk about any molestation at all on here for whatever reason. Those are my personal issues that I feel these have to be more one-on-one. But this person opened up when they went to a therapist that was not Jewish and was blind. So you would think, yes, someone that's visually impaired, blind, this from person said, you know something, I'm not being judged. No one is looking at what I look like. And that person was able to open up. From there, therapy was able to happen. So I've already learned so many times, let's not judge about what the person looks like and who they are. You might assume it might not work, but by you going to the person and you feel comfortable there, it's about you feeling comfortable to go to those deep, dark places and the therapist to feel comfortable to push you there. Simcha, thank you for that question. A lot of wonderful information was given. Appreciate your call. We're going to line five to Sandy. Sandy, you're on the air with Mordechai. The number to call and to ask your question or comment is 718. I'm sorry, we're going to Yaffa. Yaffa on line three. 
on 718-683-5858 to ask your question or comment. 718-683-5858. Listening to your host, Mordechai Weimerger, LCSW, Mordechai Weimerger, Licensed Clinical Social Worker. Uh, can you shut the radio in the background? There's like a couple of seconds delay. You know, the phone line in the background. Um, hold on. Yafa, line three. Hi. Yes, hi. How are you? Okay. Baruch uh, Hashem, you, you hold on. Let me respond. Baruch Hashem, fantastic. Uh, welcome. Baruch Hashem. Everything is fantastic. Excellent. I you before said uh, um, uh, that when the child says, I'm gonna, uh, it's tired, and he says, uh, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill this, gonna, it's very normal. You say because he's tired, he didn't get enough sleep, and it's perfectly normal. And my question is, what about when child T uh, says something? After the same situation, very tired and Hold on, let's take a step back. Just before we go to your question, I'd like the second part of what I said as well. When I say when I said it's very normal, what was the next part that I said to that? Uh, because he's tired or something. No, I, what I, the next part that I said is, but the parents need the tools to stop it. If we don't have the tools how to stop an eight-year-old boy from saying, I want to kill you, it's not an excuse to, for them to be tired at eight years old. But wait, hold on. We're not yet at your question yet. We need to clarify. Let's take one step at a time. I would like you to just repeat the information that I said with adding it on. That, that when I said that it's normal for a kid to say, when they're tired, I want to kill you, I hate you, for the parents to now take a parenting course, for the parents to learn how to teach this kid, I understand why you're doing it, but now I'm going to teach you how to say, Mommy, I'm very angry now. Or, Mommy, I, I'm so angry and I'm so tired that I feel like I want to kill someone, but not to go around saying that, not to hit. Now, can you do that to me? First, repeat that whole sentence that I said, because I feel it's inaccurate. I do not say it's normal for an eight-year-old kid to say, I will kill you. Absolutely not. We do that, and then you're letting the abuse continue. Then you have 40-year-olds that are threatening their kids, I'm going to kill you, and I hear that many times. You have 40-year-olds that are 60-year-olds that are still yelling at their wives and at their husbands. It's not appropriate. I know some 60-year-olds are threatening, I'm going to put myself into the hospital. That's not excusable at 60. Great. Go right ahead. Uh, so just repeat that, and then we'll take your question. What if the child says... Uh, wait, wait, wait. Still now, hold on. I'm, I'm asking for something. Let's first get what I need, and then I can give you what you need. So just repeat now as if... Hi, Yafa. You're on the phone with Mordechai. What is your question or comment? So now repeat the whole thing from scratch the way I like the full sentence said. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, before you said, like, it's very normal for him to... A uh, child to say that, but for a parent... It's very, very normal, and we have to have a right to take care and handle it. We have to know to how to, uh, how to, you know, help the child to Excellent. Thank yeah. you, Yafa. Now I feel fantastic. Now I feel clear. <laughs> now let's go to your question. You see how easy it is to please me? Everything by Sarah Garden, and I, I you know. Anyway, uh, what if the child, if child says uh, uh, that he wants to kill himself? He's very tired very uh, hungry, retired, whatever, and he says, oh, I'm going to kill myself. So I will tell you the same thing, but this is a lot more delicate, which means normally I'd have to ask you, there's something called like a suicide assessment, that when someone tells it to me in my office, I we just need to recognize, is the person just using, is it the language that they use? Like when they say, I want to kill you, and I want to kill everyone, and I, wanna, I don't want to be alive. Sometimes when the kid says, I, I want to commit suicide, they don't mean it. They just mean, I don't like the pain. I'm so angry, and I don't want to be here. So instead of saying, I want to be in a different family, as long as they say, I just want to die. 
because when they hear Nebuchadnezzar was nifta, where are they? They're in another place. So again, right. this is something I cannot tell you offhand because unfortunately there are people that actually do that. And I, uh, the amateurs that don't know anything about therapy, they go, when they hear someone say, oh, I want to commit suicide, they go, go ahead. Statistics show that when people say they want to do it, many of them, with three months later, the statistics show a huge amount by three months that there are some actions taken to that chas shalom and unfortunate. And yes, it does happen in our community and I'm not here to spend the time discussing that. But to realize that when someone says something, there's, what they're asking is for help. If your son, your daughter, your child, your grandchild is saying, I want to commit suicide, if it's the same levels because they're angry, they've never shown any levels that they're going to do it, it's just a regular tantrum. They're looking to get your attention. If a parent is afraid, go, oh, he said that or she said that. Now, okay, you could stay up late. No, you're going to bed. But we still need to realize, while it might be age-appropriate to use those words, at the same time, it is extremely appropriate to finish that off that thou take a parenting course. If you're eight and kids are saying that, know how to identify his or her emotion. Know how to teach them to clarify. When you say you want to commit suicide, you don't want to be alive, what you're saying is you're not happy. And now use appropriate words for appropriate emotions. We need to teach that to the kids. So when kids say, I want to kill you, we'll teach. Do you really want to kill me? No, no, no. I'm just so angry at you. Okay, so now let's use the words, I am angry at you. Now let's use the words, how... Unfortunately, I don't remember now which country, but one of the books that I enjoy reading that has a lot about statistics, and they had a country, a sort of like a small, it was more like an island, where they had about 50 or 60,000 children there, and for about 100 years there were no suicides. In 1980, one teenager committed suicide, and then within 10 years after that, there were over 100 of them. Unfortunately, once something is experienced, once something is discussed, that's the danger of a lot of awareness. Part of the danger of awareness is we're also educating to do this. So take, for example, Our Place, a wonderful organization for the teens at risk. They don't just let any kid that says, I want to be over the derech hang around those children. Because when you're around it, when you're exposed to something, it can affect you. So therefore, we need to understand words that people use today, unfortunately, this generation is, I will kill you, I hate you, I wish I'm not alive, it became part of the lingo. Part of the danger to that is it increases the likelihood of it happening out there. Therefore, I'm a big believer in not using certain words. Yes, in therapy, I'm a big believer in a lot of issues need to be discussed one-on-one. We have the whole concept of tznius. Tznius is not that something is dirty or something is bad or wrong. Tznius means it is private. There are times to discuss certain things. There are the right place to discuss certain things, but there also isn't the right place. And there's also the wrong place. So something that might be appropriate is not. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, so therefore, how could hear the words, today's generation, these words are flying around. Do I believe it needs to be stopped, those words? Yes. You don't want a kid using these negative words. I'm so angry I can kill someone, I can punch someone. Because then their mind goes there. Then they get more violent the more times they repeat the words. That's why words that we teach our children, and that's where we take parenting courses and have the tools how to change the lingo of our children will change their theories. So if you will say 10 times in a row, I'm so sad, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm depressed. My energy, as I'm saying it, is going down. If I say the words, I'm fantastic, I'm doing energized, Baruch Hashem, the Shalem has given me so much more than I deserve. I am so happy. I just used it four or five words and already my energy is going up. Positive, um, I agree with positive thoughts and positive things and positive sentences. Absolutely. And very positive. That's right. Very 
but the, absolutely it's uh, to stop the negative I, I don't even know how my child can can take negative but so positive <laughs> but I thought maybe she maybe she heard from somebody um so let's not jump into too many things because we don't know yet exactly what's happening and all that so all I'm saying is as we've discussed those words are still normal words that kids use today's generation we still want to be able to have the power to ch to stop it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. You answered my question. Thank you, Yafa. I'm glad to I'm glad that you called. Thank you. We are going to line one to Chava on line one. You're on the air with Mordechai. The number to call in is 718-683-5858. Chava, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Line one. All right, so let's go then to line two, to Nachum. Nachum, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yeah, hello? Yes, Nachum. Yeah, I was just curious, as a 19-year-old, um, what decisions can I make and what decisions should or can my father make for me? Okay, let's first, that's a huge question, but let's do it differently. What are you asking about, if you feel comfortable sharing that on air? Um, going to yeshiva and we're okay. So let me do the answer that you're not going to like. <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. Um. Huh, where do we start with this? All right. Let's start as follows. Teenagers. When we go from kids to the teenage years is when we start going from being very dependent on our parents, and the Rebbeinu Shlom gives us the teenage years where our mind starts developing that we need to have self-regulation where we're able to then be an adult on our own. Means at 19, are you able to put yourself to sleep when it is bedtime, or you're going to stay up and schmooze till late at night and then not function the next day? Um, are you able to eat healthy, take responsibility over your food? Do you know how to act and to be mature with kids and with other friends, or do you still need constant supervision? When we find that an adult, that a child, goes through the teenage years and they are responsible, part of the parent's job, which is in order for a kid to be more responsible, is to learn this level. To learn this level means to be more responsible, we need to let go. Once you let go more, the kid will make some mistakes, but then will learn how to be responsible. And therefore, the word is responsibility. So now my question to you is the yeshiva that you want to go to, is your parent saying, your father saying, you're not making the responsible decision? Means, let's understand, responsible means you understand there's going to be hard work. Responsible means that you understand that there's going to be commitment. Responsible means that there is also going to be pleasure and enjoyment there. Responsibility means that you're going to push yourself more than you are doing now. Now, when you, many times I find this battle where teenagers go, or even people in their early 20s, I don't like that my parents are telling me where to go. And I tell them, how mature do you sound? You sound like an 8-year-old. You sound like a 10-year-old. The decision, the yeshiva that you want to go to, are you making it out of, out of a responsible choice? This is the yeshiva that I will grow. This is the yeshiva that will teach me maturity. This is the yeshiva where I'm going to be bigger in your Hashemayim. Is this a place where I will grow more with friends? Or is this a yeshiva that I can chill? And I can just do whatever I'd like over there and I'm free and I'm easy. Because if that's the case, unfortunately, you're setting yourself up for disaster in life. Right. Now, the, um, the question is really, as of now, I'm, I'm not really in a yeshiva. So okay. it's the question of even going to a yeshiva kind of out of state or not. Do you feel comfortable 
for me asking some questions on air? Can I ask you some questions? Um, yeah. All right. And also, if you don't want to answer them, just at all times say, I don't want to answer that. Okay? Okay. Uh, Why are you not a yeshiva, my friend? My father wants to learn with me a certain Derech Halimud, and he feels that no yeshiva will be able to provide that. Um, okay, so... Uh, I happen to think I might have some information over here, which is not... I don't know if we can discuss it anymore on air. Let me ask you mm. something else. Is there a Rav or someone that you can work in and discuss it with your father, or can you go to a therapist that you guys can discuss it? Yeah. Okay. So what well, I mean... What? Yeah. If yeah. there's someone that both yeah. of you trust, because at a certain age, you see, it's got to go two ways, which means on one hand, homeschooling is very important. On the other hand... At a certain age, we've got to find our power. We've got to let each kid be an individual. So you've got to know how to understand, is a derech that important? Now, is the kids need? Because unfortunately, we have many kids that are not successful when the parents are too involved and not giving that healthy balance. On the other hand, your father might feel that you won't be learning anything. Or is it a derech And how can we find the middle ground that you can have his derech plus something else? So I know someone right. once asked a stipler, it was a medical doctor that told the stipler that he wants to leave medical practice and wants to sit and learn all day. The doctor told, the stipler told him, no, you have a practice at least a half a day. He says, by you working a half a day, you'll be able to learn much better the rest of the day. So maybe uh -huh. it's, maybe at a younger age, your father felt that way. And now we just need to educate or update you and your father. And maybe your father's system is right for you. Maybe not. So we got to bring it up again. So if there's a therapist that both of you trust, Work it out. But yeshiva is extremely important and age-appropriate because you work on a lot of stuff over there. And if it's a derech halimut, maybe we can get the derech halimut some other way as well. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You're very brave to call in. Appreciate it. And one thing I can tell you, that parents love the children. Sometimes it's done in a way that a child understands it. Sometimes it's done in a way that a child doesn't understand it. But it's important mm -hmm. for us to have the way that the children should understand most of what we do. This way we respect them. Otherwise, unfortunately, then there becomes a rebellion. So for all those parents listening, at all times, we need to be, uh, as the Gra explains, the difference between a melech and a moishel. A moishel is a dictator and a melech is a king. A king is someone that the soldiers, that the populace understands that we need soldiers, we need police force. At the same time, it's not a dictatorship where you can't verbalize what's going on, you can't express it. So parents are a melech, we're kings or queens, but the people are not puppets they are people and we need to work it out with them if we're too strict on them if we don't hear them we don't have them feel that we're understanding them unfortunately we get many difficulties that arise from there so Nahum, if your father's a yep. person that's understanding if you can work things out with him since this is a mm -hmm. huge issue find someone mm -hmm. that you can discuss it with a rav a family member or a therapist someone that has experience okay. in mediation and this is something that can with siyata deshmaya be worked out okay thanks a lot you're very welcome. The number to call in to ask your question or comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And we're being told that the line is not being broadcasted, not on my phone line and not on FNW. There might be an issue with exchange, the carriers that we use. So we'll see, Mert what, uh, what will be done. Hopefully for next week or later on, it will work out. Thank you for that. So the number to call in to ask your question or comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Um, okay. 
we're getting several questions over here and we are not going to okay some of them are personal about sneeze questions please understand that we're not really taking those questions on here i believe those need to be discussed and on a sneeze level lily you're on the air with mordechai line one lily we're, hi yes hi lily how are you doing yes hi um hello yes you're on the air with mordechai oh. and many oh, okay. others hi sorry um so I have this problem with a family member. Um, he lost his wife about uh, a year and a half ago, and he was he was very dependent on her, and uh, he's been he he's very depressed, and uh, like he was just very very dependent, and like he's not able to get himself to do anything for himself. Like his kids are doing everything for him, like even hygiene and. Everything, he's just very, very depressed all the time and very, very dependent. And he is going to therapy once a week, but I feel like this none of this is probably addressed. And he, he just doesn't seem to be, like, moving anywhere. So, like, I don't know. Like, it's not... What is your question to me? <laughs> like, I, like, I just... Like, it's somebody who's close to me, but I don't know what my place is to do something if his kids... If his kids, uh, like his kids are just enabling him in a way. You got it. So you already know the right term, enable. You're on the right, right subject. So let's take your question and let's understand. And I'll share with you one of those horror stories that um, in a therapist, I would say one of the, if I'd ever write a book, the horror story, the sad st stuff of being a therapist, I'll give you a, a, a story similar. Um, someone went to a therapist, because I know the story. So someone went to a therapist and the person was in severe depression on every type of medication, every type of vitamin out there, and nothing right. was working. They were doing therapy, and Baruch Hashem, that therapist was a very tough therapist. Not tough as in mean, but in tough start to get things moving, and the husband was improving. Got off medication, started a job. And this was about six to eight months of therapy, by the way. Afterwards, right. the client comes in, the husband says, you know something? I just want to stop everything. Says, why? So since I got stronger, my wife is going nuts. She's telling me what to do. She's controlling me. She's telling me what I should do at work. I got to call her six, seven times. She's questioning everything I do. She says, it was just so much easier when I was depressed, and my wife was kvetching and complaining. It was so much easier. She's going with me to the doctor. She was busy with that. She wasn't driving me nuts. It was simply depressed. This guy stopped therapy, went back on the medication, went yeah. back on all the vitamins, and it's sad to see. And you know what the issue was? There was a wife that was too controlling, domineering, but a bigger issue was the client was not ready to take ownership to deal with their inner struggles. And this person, of course, it's easy to blame the wife in this story, but I don't like doing that. This person came from a childhood where he was no, never... No, absolutely, and he had, he had a very difficult childhood. That's right. This guy was never assertive. Was, uh, his mother passed away. That's and, right. That's what you're going yes, to find. Yes, so that's no, why I'm not a believer. <laughs> that's right. That's why I'm not a believer in blaming the wife. Whenever these husbands no, no, come in with a story. Not. No, so what I want to get in with you. So let's now be a little bit more assertive. Maybe you can get the family to listen to this because they can get the recording on jwitradio.com where they can uh, download the program. So let's go ahead and let's be a little assertive since it's not at you. Let's make something clear. Codependence, enabling, means there is a cycle, a vicious cycle that happens. Oh, I'm so weak, I can't. One of the spouses, which has a weakness, that they need things positive. So what they do is, and they can't be around negativity, or people that are doing things, I will take it over. So if a mother 
It's very clean. She must have a clean house and the kids don't clean up enough or she yells at them or tells them, clean up the room and they're not cleaning it up. She will be forced to clean it up. Or that mother that can't go to sleep with a messy kitchen. She's forced to work till three in the morning and then be kvetchy and nervous all day because she's stuck on that. And no one helps me. My husband can't help me. My kids can't help me. Or the husband that's busy complaining, my wife spends so much money and I can't get her to stop so I have to earn more where he's stuck in that program where someone else will make me happy instead of me learning my boundary, we're stuck. So what we need to understand is there's a pattern that's going on. This husband was in a stuck pattern. I'm making the assumption since the kids are taking over that the wife took that pattern of the enabler. So the wife did that. Otherwise, the husband would have been better by now. So this is a symbiosis level where they are both, the whole family is enmeshed. Now the kids are taking it over. So you're asking me, now the husband's going to a therapist. And the husband went through trauma. But if the he, husband... He's, he's been going, and I, truthfully, I, like, don't I don't know what they've been doing. Right. <laughs> that is why I am a big believer, a big believer. In a case like this, I don't think the therapist will be able to help the husband unless he gets some major pain or major shifts and movements in his life. Because I don't even know if he's coming in for the right stuff. I've got clients, I call them professional clients. That's why when I tell people all the time, do an evaluation with your therapist, I'm a big believer in doing the evaluation. Every couple sessions, are we moving or are we not? People love saying, I went to Mordechai Weinberger for 10 years. No, you haven't. (laughs) You came to me once five years ago. I threw you out because I told you we got to have, I just say I threw you out. There had to be movement. There wasn't movement. You come back five years later and, oh, I went to Mordechai Weinberger for five years. People tell me, I went to a therapist. Many times they come to me for a second opinion. I go to a therapist for five years ago. How many sessions did you have in those five years? Oh, six sessions. Sorry. Then all you went was for a month and a half of sessions of therapy, not five years. Next question was, how, how often and how close were they one to the other? Oh, I went one. Then I went six months later. Then I went one two weeks after that. Then I took a break for a year. So let's rephrase it. You haven't even started therapy. You haven't even gone to more than one session. Therapy is when you're doing consistently facing your issue. So now, sounds like the enabling issue is now continuing. Let's hear the cycle. Husband growing up in a house where he was, let's say, a yasim at a young age, was never taught how to take care of himself. People will take care of him, treat him the victim status. He's now the victim. Marries a lady that's probably very talented because that's usually the other one makes a shidduch. And... Now she is stepping up and coaching him, making the phone calls that he has to do, saving him right, and guiding yeah. him every right. step of his life. So now he continues with the victim status. Wife is nifter. Kids now continue. Hi, vey, poor tati, poor daddy, poor Abba. Yep, yep, Look yep. at what he went through in his life. I, I have certain people I know that go, oh, my poor father, he was a yasim at a young age. And I go, Rabbi Nishleim, you're 30 years old. Your kid is 58 years old. Half the people or three quarters of the people at his age are already assign him. How long are you going to stay in that victim status? And the answer is, of course, until he goes to therapy. So now the kids are looking, poor Tati, poor Abba, poor father, he's a, he's a poor victim. Now comes a friend, Lily, an amazing, wonderful heart, saying, I have to save these kids. Poor children, they're messing up their lives. They're not taking care of themselves and their children because they're busy saving their father. The answer, right. Lily, is, my suggestion is, get out, stop, go ahead, and tell the kids, listen to this phone line, listen to this recording, and what you got to do now is you got to go for therapy. Read books on codependence. That, you know? that, I, try, I try telling them, but like, <laughs> then it's stop. Just nobody, nobody wants to deal with it. It's like more go. work to do that. And then, Excellent. So now what I'll tell you is in a way that your friendship should not get hurt is that when you speak to that friend of the, uh, one of those family members, you can tell them, let's discuss everything but the difficulties that you have with your father. Like, 
Don't tell me, oh, he's coming again for Shabbos, and it's really hard because my husband doesn't want him to come. Like he came three weeks in a row. When he comes, he's kvetching. Or whatever the issue should be, tell him, we can't discuss everything but your father. It's going to start making them deal with it because one of the biggest mistakes... No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, I'll make it clear. It's my father-in-law. So oh. it's, it's, uh, it's oh. not just a friend. It's not just whatever. It's then, in my life. Then you get your husband now. Let me tell you something. The wife is that cares about you. You get your husband to a therapist. You start joining. You yourself join an Al-Anon group in Brooklyn if that's where you're calling from. It's okay. You're, you're saying you're. I won't send Bachram to Alan on to those things. But if you're married, go to them. You're going to hear the pattern and get your husband to go or go to a therapist. Call up Relief or Echo. Ask them who are therapists that deal with this. There's a you know that deal with this that deal with codependence. That deal with right. even even those that deal with addiction. Because the right. same. I mean, ther- his, my husband. My husband's sisters are really more. Like, it's not so much my husband who's enabling him. He, my husband's more frustrated. It's more his sister. I know, but, his, but, this, but this, uh, l- I, let me clarify something. When we're no, frustrated, we're, saying, still um, feeding, we're still feeding the smoke. So if there's a fire going on, we're saying, all I'm putting on is a little gas. Gas feeds it. Your husband trying to educate his sisters, still feeding the abuse, still feeding the pains, feeding the unhealthiness. Right. It's about telling the sisters... Because so the, 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 he's just, like, blowing me off whenever I say, like, therapy's the only thing. But I'm just c- confirming, like, there's no two ways about it. Like, there are no two ways about it. There's only, no other way, right? That's <laughs> right. And the only way is, unfortunately, where a rub is going to have to be involved eventually when your father, when he's going to start falling down because he's not used to being on his own. The first time a person's got a cast for 10 weeks and, you, and they start walking without the crutch, they're limping. And it's going to have to do exercise. And that's why you go to occupational therapy. Exactly right. for that reason, to learn how to walk again. Your father might need to learn how, your father might need to learn how to walk for the first time in his life. And chances are he's not going to want to. And chances are people are going to be blaming him. And here's where, oh, sorry, people are going to be blaming you, the family. And here's where my advice comes in. Don't just go to a Rav. Go to a Rav that understands about addictions or about codependence. And that's where the G'daylum come in because they have experience with this. Because any Rav yeah, that just but, might have the title. Yeah, but what would you say if there was no religion in his life either? There is in the kid's life. talking about for his... your husband. We're talking about your husband where your oh, emotion. Husband. Yes, where your emotion can be relaxing. I'm not being over on Kibbutz aim. Just the opposite. Me being involved and continuing the abuse is actually being over on Kibbutz aim. Sometimes when we help mm-hmm. someone and we're hurting them, we do not get schar for that. Or I shouldn't say we don't. I let the Rabbanu judge how to do that. But. Right. Yeah. Alrighty. <laughs> Thank you. Good luck. Let me tell you something. You're an amazing person. I love looking at the profile of those that are codependent. So let's first share a positive about your husband, about the family. You guys care about Clyde's soul, clear about the world. Your heart isn't yeah. just limited to your little family. You don't just give tzedakah to your shul or to your one thing. You give to everyone. Emotionally, people that are codependent are people that have ava. When you dive into Hashem, there is such a connection to the Rabbi Nishleim. You don't have to worry about did I connect or don't I connect you are people that you can give over a huge amount of positivity confidence motivation in the world and you have a natural instinct to heal the world recognize the positive strengths to codependence but if it's not balanced you will get one of those dependent people and they will suck every second of life out of you they will suck every joy of life that you have in your heart right so you're a fantastic you and your husband fantastic natures a real Yiddish chos, the a nature of a Yid, but at the same time, we need to learn the balance. We need to learn to say, sorry, we cannot be Mechal Shabbos. I love you very much, but I cannot be Mechal Shabbos for you. 
And that's right. the concept of stopping the dependent person. You're my Abba, you're my father, I love you, you need help. But now you also need to start facing reality, you need to start facing life. We cannot push them, they need to go through their journey. At their time, the journey will start. Okay. Lily, thank you, so much. thank you for the question. And I would say, as I said it on the first caller when I started about codependence, I would probably say there are two Jewish diagnoses out there. None of them are really diagnosable in the DSM-5. Number one is perfectionist. I would say the number one issue that causes most of the issues that I find in the firm world. And the second issue is that I would find codependence where we're trying to help people or because we're so close with family and family is a huge um, interaction in our daily life that sometimes our boundaries have been blurred or there are no boundaries, no borders. And now we're not living our life. And there are a huge amount of fights, family disagreements that are going on because of that. Thank you, Lily, for the question and for the awareness. We are Thank going you. to line three to Ellie. I'm Ellie, hi. And for those of you that like to call in, the number is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Yes, Ellie, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yeah, how are you? How are you doing today? Baruch Hashem, amazing. Okay, uh, I'm just calling for a very quick, uh, about two months ago, you had a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and had this. I forgot his name. I'm it was many years ago. I had I had several years ago um, Dr. Nudman, psychiatrist. Well, it was not many years ago. It was a, I mean, I wrote it down many, three months ago. Then it was sure. Dr. Abraham Tversky. Well, I'll tell you, he's, uh, the only thing I remember about him that he's bilingual. So I think he's the first name you said. Is there uh, any way you could... You can give me his info. I'm trying to help somebody. So uh, let's let, let's clarify the two out there first of all. Dr. Abraham Twersky that was on three months ago is a Chasheva Rav as well. He's an MD. He's actually currently retired. He's written 70-something books. So when we had him on, he does not currently prescribe medication. Um, he's retired on that, but he answers. I mean, he writes books, and he's, if you would say Freud is the, is the father of psychology, of the way they call that, I would say Dr. Abraham Tversky is the first person that brought from psychology Tyra and brought it to the from world that we should understand the need to be aware of it. And he's literally, he's changed Klyostral on that level. And he's brought so much in, information, therapy, courses, trainings. It's unbelievable. And it was a schuss to have him here. So if you're referring to Dr. Abraham Tversky, I can't really give you his numbers simply because he's writing books and he answers questions about an hour a day for those that can get through. Um, I do not have his number offhand, but if it's... I'm looking for for the the second name. Okay, so for the psychiatrist, the one that actually sees he speaks, I I know he speaks um, several languages. He's actually from the top psychiatrist out there, is a professor at NYU. Um, He doesn't need my endorsement, but I respect him a huge amount, so he's got my endorsement as well. So it's Dr. Dr. Alfred Nudman. I don't have it now, but you can call up Relief, or you can just Google his name. Google it, Dr. Alfredo. It's really Ephraim, his from, from name, but uh, I think it's Alfredo Nudman. Just look up Dr. Nudman in Manhattan. Okay, and how do you spell N-E-N-U-D-M-A-N. It's probably A-L-F-R-E-D. And Nudman, N-U-D-M-A-N-M-D. And okay. I just want to say, we're mentioning his name, and I really like him a lot, but there are several other psychiatrists that I like a lot. No, I'm not going to endorse them on here because um, because we just get into it. I did have a good experience. I had a bad experience. I had this and that. 
saying, as always, with everyone, even with me, reevaluate, see if you're happy, and with Siata Deshmaya, move on. So just Google his name. There are some fantastic, good top psychiatrists out there. Um, thank you, Ellie. Um, we got some openings for callers or questions, so feel free to call in 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Looking forward to hearing your question or comment. Um, let's go ahead and take a question or two from the texts. Oh, we got a lot over here. What do you think of, I like this, this is a complete different question. What do you think about people who do therapy for a business, but they are without any kind of license or schooling? Sorry, who they have life experiences. Okay, let's clarify. We are calling those life coaches, those that do that. And we've discussed already on this program, there's a lot of positive to them. There's also a lot of negative to that. And that is, so let's go to the positive. The positive is they don't therapy, therapize you. So once in a while, my wife can tell me or some family members can tell me, Stop talking like a therapist. You know, I'm not your client right now. So recognize if you go to someone that's not licensed, sometimes you can connect to them more. There's a huge belief in group therapy, Al-Anon. All these, all these 12 steps are usually are run by people that are not licensed. So that's a positive where you can go to group therapy, but there are certain rules that they follow. Now let's go to the negative sides of that. I know some Al-Anon groups where are not run well with the Al-Anon right system and unfortunately it's very detrimental there's a lot of hurt and anger there and that is very wrong if you go to a system where there's al-anon's part of the groups we have to have groups you have to have an x amount of people that are in recovery or that are recovered already years out of that so imagine you're going to have a whole group of people that every one of their husbands are alcoholics but at the same time every one of their family members are going through that currently, the energy is going to be very different. If you have five people in the group that say, yes, we've moved beyond that, we're not getting triggered, or we are not anymore in that person's life, and they can give you a perspective from outside. It's extremely important. Some people that are not licensed, I've just recently dealt with a case where someone wasn't licensed and doing shalom bayis, and the person started yelling and screaming at the husband because they got triggered from their past. Therapists do not yell at you. Therapists do not get triggered. Therapists are supposed to be going to group supervision or peer supervision so you can stay balanced, grounded, and focused. So if you go to someone that's not licensed, they might not notice some of the signs that it might be something far worse. So take again a Sholem Bayez example. Their therapist might be talking about languages, how to understand each other. And don't you see that this person's got a major OCD? This person suffers from major anxiety. The issue isn't marriage. The issue is anxiety. But you're not trained in how to deal with that or how to recognize it or even not even knowing if you need to send to medication. So there's a benefit of someone that's licensed. And I really believe that if someone's got a small issue, you just want advice of worldly advice or suggestions that you go to regular people. If it's a disorder, go to a therapist. Just like if your chest is hurting you, you might just tell a friend, you don't think my chest is hurting me. The friend goes, oh yeah, well you just exercise, it's probably that. But then if the friend says, your chest is hurting you right two days, maybe you call Hatsala, maybe you go to a doctor. We need to know where's your place. And people that are not licensed many times do not know their place. And many times they even bash therapists, which is terrible. Sometimes I have to get a client, then they tell me, oh, but how can I go to you? My Rav or someone bash therapists, I can't go to you. Then I have to get Rabbanim on the phone to tell the person, now you could. So bashing therapists is never a good idea. Bashing doctors is never a good idea. Being licensed is very good when it's an issue that needs a licensed therapist. If you're someone that needs advice, then I feel go to someone for advice. Let's recognize when there's a therapy need, when it's a medication need, and when it's just seeking advice, life coaching. 
We're going to line one, two, Rachel, and then we will take Hannah's call. Line one, Rachel, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, yes. Um, calling about my 10-year-old son, that he has this, um, it's a little bit of an urgency sometimes he, when he wants something, let's say it's like a physical thing like a watch, or he wants his allowance, he knows he gets his allowance once a week on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, so he'll ask me like, he'll ask me on Sunday, can I have my allowance? Can I? He'll ask me like 10 times the whole day. And I told him, no, we're waiting until Wednesday. Again, he wants this watch. I brought his brother, his older brother a watch. He'll tell me 10 times that day that he wants the watch. And he's like, so he's giving me the sense of urgency like I need it now. And it's, it just continues on, like, you know. So sometimes, like, I'll give it to him the next day or, you know, I'll wait it out. Sometimes it's an absolute no, like his friend is going to Lakewood for the summer. He wants to go to my sister's family and just sleep there. He's like, it's not a big deal. I'm going to go, go there. I want to go, and I want it. And he'll bother me about it for two weeks straight until he sees that I said no, and it's not feasible and it's not happening. But is this something that I should be worried about? I'm saying it, it happens quite a lot. So normally, and I'll just explain over here, when, when we take questions, I repeat many times, I don't take parenting questions under the age of eight because it's many times you need to be clearer, like you just need the tools and you need like follow-ups. Like when I did the parenting class in four evenings, it was, it couldn't be four consecutive evenings, it had to be one evening, then a week practice, we know what you got better at, and I knew ahead of time where all the parents are going to tell me it didn't work. Then you do week two, now you gave the tools for the next step, for the next level, you had to have the week of success and failure and falling, then we go to week right. three. So now let's take you know, I took a number of parenting um, classes, Excellent. and I benefited so I, a lot for them, but this particular child, um, this, this is like the number good. one so issue. what I want to clarify, therefore, because I feel your kid is older and you're doing it in other places, I'm just going to make it very brief and short, and that is that your kid will only pressure you and push you when they know that if they nudge, they will get their way. When a parent is clear within themselves, I said no twice or three times, they can't nudge. I promise you, your son will change. So now let's take it to you. You must be breaking your rules and changing your rules for him several times in order for him to still nudge you or he would have stopped. And any time a parent stops it, the kids at all times stop it. So I am telling you as a fact, just from reality, you must be giving in. Right, but also there's another element here. It's not only that he wants it and I'm giving in or not giving in. It's that sense of urgency. He gets very anxious and he gets into Again, very... Again, I like want you to understand, it is a sense of urgency. Children, and that's part of what I have in the first course when I do the parenting, is children will be misbehaving, children will be angry, children will be tense when we, the parent, are not doing the parenting. When we cannot reassure the kid that no means no, then the kid is always nervous. When will I get it? How many mm -hmm. times do I have to nudge? Why do I have to nudge for two weeks? And mm -hmm. then the kid's unease. When the kid knows nudging doesn't help, then the brain is at ease. Okay, I don't have to fight. Imagine you know you have to now bake a cake that will take you three weeks to bake. Mm -hmm. And every time you want something, you've got to get three weeks to take till you get it. Do you know how tense you're going to be? Right. That's why, again, it's you. It's the parent. And therefore, I'm not going into any of the tools. But when you will be assertive, when you will be confident that when you say no, it's no, you're going to see your son change very quickly you'll see his easiness you'll see his intensity relax mm -hmm. all right so that's I the understand. point of parenting and this is the psychology that i give in the first rule in the first class of parenting we give one tool to practice right away but the most important part that i spend over there for about an hour's time is understanding the power of parents how powerful we are how we can affect our children how at all times we can change them and kids are begging and asking for that when you are being assertive not tough not mean but assertive mm -hmm. Your kid will have the biggest smile on their face. Your kid will love you more. Your kid will hug you more. Being mm -hmm. assertive will not deter them, will not throw them away. Being mean, being uncaring, being unresponsive, ignoring, yelling, that will create a distance. 
Right, but is it normal that he gets so uptight that he wants it, he's so not relaxed? Of course, of course. He knows now he's going to have to nudge for three weeks. The subconscious mind gets very tense. Mm -hmm. It's going to take me three weeks again to get this? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's overwhelming. Right, I understand. Yeah, so go ahead. So if you've taken several parenting courses, take contact whichever parenting teacher you liked and have a a session one-on-one with them to ground everything together. Mm -hmm. And you will see that you might not need to take a whole course. You just need that one-on-one to ground it for this one son, how to deal with it. So you might be fantastic and just needing a little tool. And in one session, you can get it. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And thank you for asking. I always love the education of our listeners and different information. So here we've got someone that's sharing with us Dr. Nudman's number. They either Googled it or they had it. And the number is 212-481-4151. He's a psychiatrist and a very nice person. We are going to go to Chana. Chana online too. You're on the air with Mordechai. Yes, hello, you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Okay. Um, I have a son. He's a seven-year-old. And when he was oh, one hold year- on. Let's just make sure it's not a parenting question. No, it's not a parenting okay, question. Okay, thank no. you. And when he was one-year-old, he had a trauma. My question is, if he does not remember the trauma, but I feel it's affecting him. How do you feel? How do you feel? Do you feel comfortable sharing what the trauma was? Yeah, it was a physical therapist. Why is that a trauma called? Why was it a trauma? Because the therapist used to like just come in, not speak to him, not smile to him, not nothing. Just came in and did therapy. What makes you think that's so traumatizing to a one-year-old? Why? Because I saw a definite definite correlation. Because before I had that therapist, yeah. I was a happy child, uh, no stranger anxiety, and as soon like after like I had the therapist for a few weeks, I sent him away. After then, after that's when all his issues started. He got okay, stranger anxiety, a... and it's still till today's he day. He got what anxiety? Stranger anxiety, very tense socially. Okay, I now mean... let me ask you a question. Do you suffer from anxiety? Um, social pr- anxiety. Uh, let me rephrase it. I'm pretty sure that you suffer from anxiety. By the way. <laughs> I'm not going into how I know. Just as a therapist, I hear this all day. I hear things. I'm going to tell you what I tell everyone else. You go for help. Deal with your issues. With Siata Deshmaya, four months, you taking therapy. Now, don't tell me it's a little thing and you're able to neglect it and push it away and it doesn't affect you. question is, what kind of therapy does such a thing need? Uh, let's not go into that. Whatever it is that you got. You let, can I even, you know, I, I like sometimes blo- um, like taking some guesses. Can I make a guess about your parents? Make a guess. Let me just take a guess. And again, to me, 80% cause I suffer from perfectionist, as I call it. So it's many years I work on not being. The way I go is I go for 80%. So just tell me how 80% I am. Yeah. Or let's even try showing off. Let's first give you a little reading, as they call it, about your personality. Then we'll go to your family. And you'll tell me how accurate I am just from your little question. And... And I've just given everything away. So let's start with you. You're very caring. You're very good. You like to read. You can even read people's body language. So when you talk to someone, you know if they're happy or if they're in a sad mood. You can tell when someone is hiding secrets from you. Even if they're denying it, you still know to trust yourself. And most of the time, they'll tell you later that you're right. You find yourself someone that you have a fantastic imagination and creativity, but it's extremely difficult for you, or at least you've had to master to be on time to places. When your emotions get taken over, sometimes like you just can't do things. So you find sometimes the house will be a mess. You can get overwhelmed um, pretty often. How accurate am I so far? What should I read it at? From um, one to ten. Ten being basically... <laughs> What did I say? Nine, ten? <laughs> okay, very good. Now let's continue. Um, to your children, you're extremely loving and caring. You want to help them whenever they have any difficulties. 
and to your husband, sometimes you get annoyed when he's not understanding so much. I've never met your husband, never spoken to your husband. I don't even have caller ID, and I don't even know. I'm assuming <laughs> Chana's not your name, so I just want you to be clear that I'm not being fed any of this. Your husband is a very nice guy, but he just has to do things, and he's not able to express things enough, and he's so nice, and sometimes you get annoyed when he's so tough on the children, when if you would speak to them more, instead of being that toughness, it would just change everything. Again, so far, 10 out of 10? Or um, 9 out of 10? I would say, like... Depends what. I would say like five then because it's, yeah. Well, with your Not husband, everything. I'm only 50% accurate. Yeah. Okay. Now let's go to your parents. Either you have a parent that is so loving and so caring that they're, you're speaking to them at least 10 to 15 times a day. Very much one of them. Chances are it's your mother. And, you're, and you speak to your brothers and sisters, siblings. Everyone is involved in everyone's life. Everyone is caring. Everyone's interested. Everyone wants to help the other one. Everyone's worried for the other one. And it goes on a lot. And when you are growing up, chances are you had one of the parents that was not there. Either your father or mother wasn't there at all. And the other parent was very involved in giving emotions. And the way the feeling was, we're all so close that everyone stays together. How accurate am I so far? Um, in the overall everything, yeah. I would say eight. Okay, that's it. So I go for, to me, eight, to me, an 80 is by me 100. That's my scale. So pretty good. Because it depends what. Like, there's some things that were not, but whatever, yeah. Yeah, okay. and if we would discuss in detail, you'll see how those things that I said not um, accurate in those 50% as well. You're just thinking of it as an extreme as I put it. But because based on, the, based on the way you've asked your questions, you've given me an entire roadmap about you, family, even with your children. So with your children afraid with strangers, I got some news for you. Your child's not afraid of strangers couple of weeks, by even getting pain, kids are able to, are resilient. They're able to overcome that. If we, the parent, are afraid of strangers or are unease with strangers, if we feed the kid, oh, I notice their fear, and we're feeding it, instead of giving them the emotion on how to get stronger, we, the parents, sometimes can be hurting our children. So the problem I, is, it's not only, like, scared of strangers. It's more socially in class. Let me ask you, how many other of your kids have these issues and similar? I have two kids with these issues. Okay, two kids. It's exactly. So my recommendation one is to getting you is, over it, but this one is just not. Uh, my recommendation with you is just go for therapy. Know that you're going to take about four months of therapy. Just take. Like it. what? What kind of therapy? That's my question. Even what? emotional, any type therapy, any type that you'd like. Alternative, you can use any type therapy. Will help you. Yeah. Well, what I have a question is because I'm going with this one the therapist and. Uh, I cannot answer your, as long, until you don't get help, you won't have the yeah, tools. Yeah, yeah, no, I want to ask this one question. You've got two crutches, and you won't know how to teach someone how to walk once they let go of the crutches. I can't do that. Once you've, right. once you've experienced letting go of crutches and walking, then we can do the other way around. Yeah, no, I just want to ask you one question. And just accept that if I say I can't, as someone yeah, just told yeah. me a great line in Al-Anon that no is a complete sentence without giving excuses. It's like if I just say I don't have the answer for you, recognize the answer saying once you get the help, you'll understand it. Yeah, yeah. So what is your I, question? Okay, well, my question is like this, that if he does not remember the trauma, the therapist that he goes to says that he definitely had a trauma, I don't know. So the question is, if a child does not remember a trauma, does the trauma need anything, does he need help with the trauma, if he did have a trauma, let's say? So and I'm going to answer this again. Many times when the parents are the one that goes for therapy, you will find traumas in the kids miraculously get help. You yeah. find kids that are going off the derech and all of a sudden the parents are the ones going for help 
Sometimes it's one of the parents that needs major help, and all of a sudden the kid is from kite is getting easy. Again, we're not blaming parents here. We're just saying many times that is needed to change the dynamics, or you get the kid out of the house, and then you see again the kid turning from especially with anxiety. If a parent has anxiety issues, the children will have it very likely. And the solution, if the kids are young, is first change the parent. I'm a big believer in that. And then you see a huge change in the children that many times the kids don't need therapy. So why are you spending all that money on sending your kids to therapy? Rather, you get therapy, and then you will find how your children might not even need therapy. Now, after you've gotten better and your fears and anxieties are away, and your kid still needs therapy, then you send the kid for therapy. So I feel you're doing it backwards. So you think I should stop therapy and just... For your kid, go for yourself for therapy for three to four months, and then call back and tell me if your kid still needs therapy after that. No, because I feel like I'm going for therapy for nothing because it doesn't look like a therapist knows what to do if he had a trauma or something. Whatever. She says he had a trauma, but he, she doesn't know then if she that can help anything that he doesn't remember. That's my so question. So let's if, go ahead and focus on my answer first. What I'm telling you is you're asking me step two. But I'm telling but you stop, stop that therapy because it's a pity for the money. That's what I'm saying. So what I am, I am not telling you stop stage one. I'm telling you stage one is where we didn't do it the right path. My recommendation for you is for you first to go for therapy. Yeah. After you've done three or four months of therapy weekly, once a week, yeah. then give me a call and then we will see about what we should be doing with your son, your seven-year-old. Right. So let me ask just a small question. I think we've done it. Can we take one more question? Because there's like two people. A small, still. tiny one, just like uh, that's the only same if I one. can answer it. Yes. Um, I have another child that has physical therapy. Should I be scared if my child cries with physical therapy that the child's going to get the a trauma? The same answer to both. You are suffering from anxiety. You are going to be passing no, it I on. See that this All right. <laughs> I need to tell you. I need to go now. And this question is the same question, and you're not seeing it. Have a friend of yours listen to the recording of this. And have, the ther- and have the friend explain to you. If you're going to go to a therapist, have them listen to a recording of this. You need help. You are missing <laughs> your confidence within yourself. You're missing assertiveness. You're missing trusting yourself. You're missing no, a help. No, but if the therapist tells me uh, that my son had trauma, uh, I, 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 I am telling you what you're missing. You're missing your inner self-esteem. <laughs> I am telling you. I'm a therapist, and I am telling you. You can now choose to focus on your kids, or you can choose to start focusing on yourself. Take care okay. of yourself for three or four months, and with Siata Deshmai, you'll see the change in your kids. Thank you for calling in. We're going to go to line five. To Terry, you're on there with Mordechai. You're probably going to be the last call that we're going to take because we got like two minutes to go or something like that. Terry, you're on there with Mordechai. Um, hi. Yes. Um, I just listened recently to your, to your telephone line of the program of terrorists. Yes. Stop negotiating with terrorists. I love that one. Yeah. That is about teaching right. assertiveness. Yeah. We're not talking about terrorists. We're talking about... The concept that terror is the more you give in to them, the more they want. The more you try to appease them, the less happier they will be. And I equate that sometimes mistakes that people do when you're dealing with tough people, you think by giving in, you think by being nice, you're going to help them. Unfortunately, you're making it worse. Great. I just want to clarify that. Okay, Terry. So now, yes. So what is your question or comment about that? So I wanted to know, um, I have a friend that is... By the way, where are you calling from? There's a British accent. You're calling from the U.S. or from England? From England. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. I enjoy when we get calls from overseas. Yes. Yes. So I have a friend that she's threatening love all the time, and I'm just wondering, like, I'm getting very phased by it. I want to know, how do you build up assertiveness and... I'm, I really am afraid of losing that. Do you know what I mean by that? And that is exactly where we just had the whole program, not whole, but we discussed codependence. That is where when we have a weakness, people can use it against us. People can take our weakness, and now we're stuck on them. And with the safety that you want to be is comfortable losing her. If it's a friendship... But I don't want to lose her. 
Well, then that's that's a self-esteem issue. Why don't you feel comfortable losing her? You won't have the confidence. You won't be yourself. You'll lose your... That's a self-esteem. Self-esteem is I can be myself and I am happy. When you're happy alone on well, an island... That's faking it. What? That is faking it. No one's happy for it. All about themselves and they ah, don't have anyone next so that's the beauty of a distortion. When we have a weakness, we do... Everyone is that way. The whole world has this problem. So let me educate you and give you a bit of information. Everyone that has a self-esteem is happy on their own. Everyone that has a self-esteem also acknowledges that we need friends. But everyone that has a self-esteem can say, this is now an abusive relationship. I got to change. And that is called codependence. So you've got a self-esteem issue. Which, and this friend will now use you and sometimes, unfortunately, emotionally abuse you, and you'll be stuck in that because you can't change, you can't leave. Thank you, Terry. We got to go. I appreciate your calling in. Please feel free to call next week, Merit Hashem, and we can spend more time on this, show you how to build some tools for self esteem. Thank you, and Hatzlocha, looking forward to having you all, Merit Hashem, next week.